Hello, welcome to Nashville CA, your double feature, double weekly podcast hosted by one guy from Nashville and another guy from California. I am the California half of the show. My name is Sean. With me, as always, is my co-host, Josh. How's it going, bud? It's going. They took my blood, Sean. Who? The Tennessee state government? You know what? I didn't ask specifically. I wouldn't put it past them. I went to the doctor, and the doctor... Uh, you know, said I was okay, except for I needed blood taken, and she sent me someplace else. And I trusted her. That's it. And they took my blood. Did she send you to Dr. Acula? Oh, you took it. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> rest in peace, Mitch. Oh, rest in peace, Mitch Hedberg. And that <laughs> other voice you hear is returning guest and my only high school friend I have left in my life, my buddy Azam. How's it going, dude? Good to be back. Very good to be back. Good to have you back. So you were last on the show with us to talk about heat and to live and die in LA, which was a really fun episode. And um, I'm really excited to bring you back for this one. It's like... I feel like with you, we just cover these like flagpole movies in their genres, first with Heat and now with Alien. And this one's cool, too, because um, Sunshine was actually a movie you recommended to me back in college. I don't know if you remember. So uh, I don't. Yeah, it was. Uh, this Sunshine feels very much like a college me. Oh, kind it of was. Movie. <laughs> I don't know if you remember you actually for my birthday one of those years you mailed me like a DVD case full of just burned movies and like I was into burning DVDs for a while so especially like, of like obscure movies that I didn't oh, think yeah. my friends could get a hold of. The jacket <laughs> was on there. The uh, jacket. Dog Soldiers was on there. Oh, wow. The Chaser. The Korean movie, The Chaser. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> uh, Dark City was there. <laughs> wow, this is like a relic to <laughs> 21-year-old Sean that I've completely forgotten about. Oh, that's, great. that's delightful. Dog Soldiers. Oh, I, I could. Neil Marshall was like, was my guy. I thought Neil Marshall was going to be the next thing in horror after Dog Soldiers and The Descent, and nope. Ooh. Yeah. Downhill since then. He did a few really good um, Game of Thrones episodes, but his movies have largely tanked. Although, you know, this is a sign. This is a sign of a real true Sean movie. I was a big proponent of Doomsday (laughs) back when it came out. And I defended that movie and was like, no, this is what it's like. If the post apocalypse would turn into this like weird fucking thing where there's like time regions and these people are cosplaying as medieval peasants and these people are cosplaying as like anarchistic punks and it's probably really dumb is i it's also like right around the same time that i told my brother-in-law and sister that ghost of mars was a great movie (laughs) oh my god (laughs) used to listen to that carpenter soundtrack all the time though i did yeah I did. Why are you? Why were you friends with me? <laughs> <laughs> so, so today we're going to be talking about Alien and Sunshine, and we kind of switched the format of the show today as Josh and I chose to watch Alien. I don't recall why or how. And then uh, Azam, you paired it with Sunshine. I did. Yeah. Josh, how did we get Alien? 
Well, I think in our group chat, uh, it had just come up previously, and we were like, yeah, okay. It was one of the titles floated uh, somewhere along a- there. Alien and Aliens are definitely movies that make me think of a zombie. Like Aliens, especially. That's like high school oh, you man. and me right there. Yeah, I was, I mean, still am super into Alien, as uh, you can tell. Okay, so <laughs> your hat, is that, is that, um... Oh god, what's his name? Harry Dean Stanton's hat? Yeah, yeah, the one that Brett's wearing. Okay, so you have that hat, and then your shirt is a Waylon Utani. The shirt is actually from the colony in Alien 3. Okay. Which I will, I mean, I'm not going to defend Alien 3, but I will defend the uh, assembly cut of that movie. I really yes. wish I could tell our listeners that you had shaved your head just to complete the look of the <laughs> Alien 3. Oh, I should have. And uh, you also have a delightfully cute uh, face hugger on your microphone right now. Very, very happy little guy. It has a smile on its face. It does. I mean, I don't think it's scary. Uh, so which movie do you guys think? we would be better off starting with today. I I think Alien. Let's start. Uh, I mean, I, they're both. I think bangers. we've already started Alien. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think Alien establishes a lot that then we can then compare to with Sunshine of like Alien established so many tropes of the genre that are now commonplace in every other movie seems to try to match those. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, the whole truckers in space or jaws in space trope is pretty awesome. And even like industrial design of starships, like interior stuff. I think we see it a little bit in sunshine as well. And like, I guess around that time, what star Wars had just come out. So like people were all hyped on sci-fi anyway, but Alien was a totally different type of sci-fi than Star Wars. Oh, I can't. It's it's almost like E.T. and The Thing coming out really close to each other. Mm-hmm. Like two similar movies. They're both alien movies, but they're completely different in tone. But the whole thing is like Alien probably would not have been made if Star Wars wasn't like a huge success, right? Because Star uh, Wars came out, so it blew up, this and str- then... I guess Fox like wanted to put out a sci-fi and alien was kicking around. Do you know? So Dan O'Bannon had already written the script. Star beast. Yeah. That's. Oh, okay. In, (laughs) in our, in our discord, there's a star beast command. Is that what the, the title was originally called? Yeah. The original, I think the original draft was star beast and then it got changed at some point. Because I guess he um, he worked on that that failed Dune project, right? And oh, the the David Dune. Lynch, the no, David no, Lynch one? oh, Jodorowsky, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. So, and I guess H.R. Uh, Giger was there, and a couple other people were there too. And then that whole thing collapsed. So uh, he already had kind of a team in place to work on Alien. So Dan O'Bannon, who wrote this. I didn't realize until today that he's also the guy who wrote and directed Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, which he was is wow, such yeah. a kick-ass fun movie that is like 
almost the complete opposite of this movie <laughs> in like every way, faster. tone, execution, yeah. comedy, camp. The uh, other thing about Dan O'Bannon is he he had worked on uh, Dark Star and Star Wars previously. And to tie it into uh, Sunshine, he was Sergeant Pinback in Dark Star, and we have a pinbacker mm. in uh, Sunshine. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I didn't that's, realize yeah, that's that. That's true. I tried that Dark Star is the John Carpenter, right? Yeah. Yeah. I tried with that one about a year ago and uh, couldn't couldn't do it. <laughs> couldn't couldn't make it through. <laughs> yeah, I can't um, say they so, blame you on that. When did you guys first see Alien? Because I think my answer is a little surprising. I believe around it must have been 2004 for the 25th year anniversary. They huh. did a re-release in theater. And so I saw this movie for the first time in theater when I was about 17 or 18. Oh, and wow. this was also right around the time when I started actively watching horror movies. It was after I had seen Dawn of the Dead in theater. And then I got into the thing. And so this, I seen Alien in theater was definitely, it was probably one of the very first horror movies I ever saw in theater. Oh, wow. I want to say, so when I was in like elementary school, I don't know if you guys remember the alien toys that had come out, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, because alien three came out in like 92 ish, right? Or maybe was that resurrection? I don't remember. One of the alien movies came out early nineties and they released a bunch of toys and I was super into those toys and I had never seen any of the movies back then. And I think I saw aliens first at a friend's mm -hmm. place which is ironically the same order i saw star wars and i saw empire strikes back first at a friend's place um do you think seeing aliens before seeing alien hurts this movie because i also i believe i also saw aliens well before i saw the first one so on several rewatches and watching it with people who have never seen aliens first like, it's really interesting if they know nothing about the movie, they don't realize Ripley is the main character until like halfway through. Right. So. Like, I mean, they they assume Dallas is or Kane, maybe, but like Ripley doesn't have a whole lot of lines up until like the airlock scene, maybe. So Can I interrupt you for a second? Of course. Did you watch directors or theatrical today? I watched directors, and that's oh, one of the changes. Man, I don't, I don't like directors. Really? Okay. Really? So I don't. This is good to talk about. So I don't like directors for that one egg scene because my favorite creature in all cinema is that queen alien, right? And the whole like was it Dallas and Kane like turning into. Not Dallas and Kane, sorry. Dallas and Brett. Dallas and Brett. Yeah. yeah. Turning into eggs. Anything that invalidates the queen, I kind of hate. That's also why I disliked Covenant. So Interesting. So, um, but the, the movie adds the cut. The director's cut adds the scene where Ripley wants to maintain quarantine. Right. So those are the two scenes. And, and so other than that, 
in the theatrical, she basically, it seems like she doesn't become active until Dallas gets killed in the air vents, right. which is essentially halfway in the movie. Exactly, yeah. So, like, watching Aliens first, you know Ripley's kind of like Ripley, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, But I think it would have put a different perspective on the movie, just because, like, I don't know who is actually going to survive. Like, Dallas dies quick, or disappears quick, rather. So, like... The audience really, on the first watch, probably wouldn't have known who to focus on. And I should have asked my mom, because she saw this movie in theaters when it came out. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it ruins the movie, but it's definitely a different spin on it. I was also thinking about the, the just the monster reveal. After seeing Aliens, where you see dozens of these things, to then go back and watch Alien for the first time where you slowly build up the reveal of one by okay, itself. So I could see that being underwhelming. So before I saw any of these movies um, at Universal Studios, there used to be like a big alien. Like statue. And that was the first time I saw like a Xenomorph. So I think I had seen it before the movies. But I mean. Still awesome. Even like I just rewatched it, of course, last night and like still awesome. Like the movie holds up so well. I watched it. I remember in when I was a, a little kid uh, seeing the the dream birthing scene from Aliens. Oh, uh, that was like one of the first things that I saw about this. Like I was at a friend's house and I was like, OK, this is terrifying and there's a cat and i don't know what's going on <laughs> uh and then we went back with that same friend my friend keith that i grew up with we watched alien because we were like we were so confused as to what was happening right. so i wound i saw bits of aliens and then went back and watched alien and then when three came out uh sometime around then when it came on home video uh, i stayed home sick from school Nice. To watch all of them. And that's the thing I used to do. Like, I would sit and watch all three, at the time, all three Star Wars. Uh, you know, all three Alien at the time. The Indiana Joneses. Uh, I skipped school a lot. And <laughs> played hooky <laughs> and would watch movies. Uh, I used to fake sick sometimes, or sometimes just embellish. And then it was all fun and games once I secured that I wasn't going to school hang out watch some cartoons in the morning and then i believe it was 10 to 11 was price is right right and i would watch that but then after price is right was over i would get this sinking feeling that the school day was almost over too so like <laughs> i had almost used up that uh -huh. token that i had cashed in by the time price is right was over and then, like, there wasn't, I would get stressed, like, about, like, there's not enough time for me, like, play my video games. And then my mom, and they're like, how do I, how do I stretch this to a second day? If I can guarantee today I have tomorrow off, that means I'll have the entire night now to, like, relax and not be stressed. But if I now think I have to go to school tomorrow, now it's almost, like, worse that I stayed home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that anticipation and that stress. It's like on Sunday, right? Like, 
Just oh god, when when sixty minutes would start, and I would hear that <laughs> click 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 of that stopwatch my parents watching. Just like no, I haven't done any of my homework yet. Oh and my god! I would always use Sunday night football as my deterrent of just like I, nope, I'm just gonna not think about anything. I'm just watching Sunday night football here, and then the game would be over, and reality would come crashing down on my head. Terrible feeling. I mean that that sinking feeling of dread, anticipating something you haven't seen yet is basically why Alien works, right? How do aliens work? Just, I... Do you want a full breakdown of xenomorph biology? Yes. Yes, I do. No, because you have a face hugger, and then in this one, well, later on, they, they like, infect a predator or something, but so... Okay, okay, you gotta ignore alien versus predator. Ignore alien covenant. Okay, okay. If you want, ignore Prometheus, if you really want to. Like, sure, I can do that too. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, and a face hugger comes out of an egg laid by a queen. Right. Now, a face hugger, what that mutates, it might not mutate into anything. Right. A face hugger needs a host. Exactly. A face hugger basically and, impregnates something, right? That's all its lot in life is. And, and it says that. Like impregnates as in seemingly they get our anthropomorphic body shape of four limbs from right. us. I mean, I guess, yeah, because an alien three, when it gets the dog and makes that runner mm-hmm. alien, it's kind of dog like. Yeah. I, okay. I mean, I guess I almost it just it uses, what's a ch- it uses DNA, right? From the host. That's the only way it would make sense. Yes. And oh, right. Because then there's the dog, the dog aliens. Right. That's right. Okay. Except for the the weird queen that came from Ripley, which had like a womb. That was different, right? Which is in Resurrection. And And now they are, they're kind of like, a bee, a bee society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so I guess I, like what we so, see in Alien is like a drone, and what we see in Aliens were the soldiers. Okay. Oh, they're different. Technically, styles. Yeah. I didn't notice a difference in like the morphology. I don't know of, if they had of, everything of this nailed down. Aliens. I don't think they had everything nailed down in the first movie. But uh they they're not reliant on I mean it's more of when I think of the video game Alien versus Predator you oh, use man. the tail a lot in that game. The game was and, incredible. Uh, oh, it's so good. It was playing as a marine. It was some of the most scared times I've ever been playing video games yeah, with just hearing Derek, the beeps with and... with Derek and Harry. <laughs> Harry Hill yeah oh man i miss those too yeah yeah that, that game was great i mean it that was got back so much right we didn't we didn't know how to play fps on a computer so we were still using like arrow keys to move and then numpad to look up and down oh yikes and shoot like we didn't we didn't have down the use the the right hand right. on the mouse thing yet so you never played Quake? 
I think you made me play Quake at some point. I might have. But not not the original. It would have been a later one. Yeah, I mean, I was into... I remember Brad came over. We had some group project. And Brad came over, and we finished up real quick, and we were just playing Quake 2, and it just freaked him out the whole time. (laughs) It was great. Um, Another thing we should mention about this movie, obviously, is the uh, composition by uh, Jerry Jerry Goldsmith. Goldsmith. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so good. Who was kind of upset over it from what I heard because a lot really? of a lot of his original stuff that he did for this movie was kind of mixed down because it was too lush and like too romantic. I hear it in the closing credits. Mm-hmm. The end credits definitely have this like everything is okay, swelling strrings. It, 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 it's very, very soft and so yeah, romantic if you, uh, is a good way to put it. They've re-released like several editions of the soundtrack, and I think I forget which one has like his complete unedited score, but uh, I haven't been able to listen to the whole thing how it was intended. But I mean, it works. Well, the the, the intro notes are of and, and that little flute or whatever the flutter, that is. yeah. Um, yeah. It makes me think now. Okay, so watching this movie, I had a really fun time watching it today because about six months ago, Virginia got me to play Alien Isolation and Ah. I would stream it over Discord. And so that way I wasn't too scared to play it because she was there (laughs) watching me and I was able to beat the game. And so I beat the game. But I felt like now watching this movie, I had like intimate knowledge of the feeling of the ship and the noises that the computers make and the tape machines oh, make as man. they whir and beep and click clack away. I want to talk today about I watched that this too. with headphones. Yeah, yeah I, I watched yeah. it with headphones on today, and I'm really glad I did because the sound design is amazing. Just when like opening up to the Nostromo and you hear like the computers click to life. It's so creepy. Like all of those clicking and whirring. Oh man. I don't know what they like, why it's so creepy, but it is well, the silence and the darkness of the ship and those lingering shots. I did read that the theatrical cut has more lingering hallway shots yeah. than it's, directors. So directors cut is shorter than the theatrical yeah. cut. I was missing those because I loved those long lingering shots. They remind me of session nine. Yep. Like just, <laughs> just give me a camera floating down a hallway with no characters, no plot context or anything except for just the effect of my immersion. Yeah. Please like put me in there. I have time. So- Movies are three <laughs> hours long these days. I have time for an hour totally. 55 minute sci-fi epic. So from what I heard, a lot of the sets, like all the a lot of the ship hallways were connected to each other. So like when the actors were going from one spot to another, they were confined, which probably added a lot to that claustrophobia. Oh, that's wild. I yeah. love thinking about that. But yeah, that opening shot, like, I mean, bringing up Star Wars again, but the 
the slow ship going over the camera. Happened in Star Wars, happens in this. Ironically, Sunshine, same type of shot, the beginning. Like, I'm sure... The, the title card sure takes its time to oh, show up. With the the lines, yeah. It, I mean, it really relishes that that opening and um i i i really like how slow this movie starts yeah and how lived in this world feels and it mainly comes down to set decoration right but just seeing so i i feel like our idea of space travel is often this sterile mm-hmm. thing where everything is white and dustless and so to see this, which is, like you said, space truckers. Yep. And this feels like a lived-in truck where the seats are worn down and peeling and there's tape on things and little notes and just little signs of characters having lived in and made these areas personal and, and their own. Like, it, it, it's really incredible. Stuff is... Nothing just comes easy, right? Like, even skipping ahead a tiny bit, but even just landing is like not a swipe cut and they're home like on the planet. Like there's a whole landing sequence that they have to go through. And I like how they really spent time on those things. It's little details like that. Josh, how much would you pay for just like a couple days in one of those sleep pods? Oh, like a nice restorative sleep. Like a guaranteed complete 72 hours deep rim like perfect sleep it would honestly depend on which three days i would lose like <laughs> if if i could like well, okay get a- adam sandler this isn't click <laughs> you're not this is not a punishment <laughs> no 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 but if i could really make it a, a monday tuesday wednesday and i work from home thursday friday like i'm that's a long weekend for me then that's great it's not an every week thing either. Okay, you don't get the game. You don't get the game. Azam, how much would you pay for just to have the... How about to have in your home one of those sleep pods where you could get in it and just be like, yeah, it's 7.30, but, you know, I got nothing going on tonight. Let's just go to bed now. And within 30 seconds, you're unconscious. Like a full restoration pod that just... Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I, have I feel like problems. way too much, yeah. I would I would spend so much money on this because But then like I don't how know, much I don't know I honestly don't know if it's quarantine and me basically overstimulating my brain constantly to compensate for being alone so much that like now my brain is bored if I don't have anything going on. And so I, I really feel like my sleep problems are highly related to just me feeling bored. When I'm in bed, you know, I my sleep schedule was doing great until that new Zelda came out and <laughs> I mean, TV's in my room and like before, like I usually game on PC with you. Right. And it's like Saturday mornings and like I'm not playing at night much, but man, playing in bed. And like losing track of time, definitely brought me back to college and never sleeping and like high school and never sleeping and like playing the first fallout games until like 3 a.m yeah 
Yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah. If I could fall asleep instantly, I would pay a lot. But then that also the, means the that up... I should get a new mattress because if I'm saying I'd pay a lot, like I should actually pay a lot and get one. Yeah. <laughs> the wake the wake up looks bad though, because everyone looks like they're waking up with like the worst hangover. Oh yeah. I mean, they've also been asleep probably way longer than just a night. Months or, three. or yeah. so. So how far they were out around Saturn mining and then they were halfway on their return trip home when they get woken up, right? Something like that. I'm not sure if it was Saturn or if it was somewhere else. But yeah. It's it So when okay, sorry. Jumping way ahead when Ripley says like they should be at the outer rim at a certain point of time. I'm not sure what outer rim they're like referring to. I wasn't either. And I was also interested of like, how did nobody ever spot this planetoid that they. Yeah. So I don't think it's our solar find? system. Yeah. Oh, interesting. You think this is we've ascended to interstellar travel. Yeah. I mean, based on how big the ship is and how little of crew there they're are. so big yeah <laughs> why are they <laughs> so big there's like seven people <laughs> on this thing and it looks like it's maybe a mile long oh it's gigantic uh, yeah what what is going on this thing I mean, should be it, helmed by like five thousand people it's all autonomous right like the whole mining and refining stuff probably like no one has to be there to do it Mother does it all. Mother does it all. Oh, mother. Mother was my background on my computer for like 10 years. Just like those lights. I love that design. Yeah. What a uh, great like environment. So that cool. it's everything else is that lived in beat up. Look, you guys were talking about. And then you go into mother and it's like um, 2001. Exactly. 2001. It's like 2001. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, no fuck what was i gonna say oh josh um have you watched the expanse Ooh. no i have not Fantastic. You? i haven't finished it well but, uh, i'm so i'm i'm waiting to watch the show but i've been listening to the books and i believe i'm on the fourth or fifth book now uh-huh. and i love that series and it's it's really changed like how i think about what space travel means and how honestly boring it would be and dull. Um, But that combined with having played a lot of Kerbal Space Program in my life Mm -hmm. has caused me to not look at space travel movies the same way. And so I'm going to bring up a gripe with both of these movies, which is uh, where's all this gravity coming from? (laughs) So with a ship in space, there's two ways to make gravity. You either spin the thing or you're under constant acceleration at 9.8 meters per second to right. give you Earth's gravity. And so it's, I mean, in sunshine, you kind of see some rotating components, mm-hmm. but it seems like in both these movies, the entire ship has gravity. How, and, uh, how how much mass does a ship have to have to have its own gravity? 
I mean, it would have to be oh, Earth-sized. I mean, look at the, well, the moon. Yeah. The moon is as big as it is and doesn't have, what? what's the moon, like 20% yeah. something? So there's gravity. no way the Nostromo's that big. So yeah, you're right. Nothing is rotating there for sure. Unless there's like well, an even artificial... If, even if a ship... Even if a ship had gravity, would that necessarily would that pull you towards the center? Because if you're inside the the mass yeah, dispersal, right. like it wouldn't. <laughs> you're yeah, right. You're right. So that's that's just one thing that it didn't really bug me in Alien because Alien is sci-fi. But I remember reading Danny Boyle talking about sunshine and how he had consulted physicists and numerologists and astronomers and all these people to try to wrap his head around if this like would be feasible yeah and yet everyone's just stomping their boots around on the ground i mean you're right gravity works different in alien hold on there's there's someone knocking at my door hold on that's weird yeah call the cops (laughs) cops cops it's bothering me that his uh is that a crate amp in the back? That's oh, not the, the, the PV. Oh no, the one on top. Yes, I, like it's center not centered. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like tap, tap it over <laughs> to the side. Come on. All right. Sorry. It was a tree guy soliciting tree work. In int. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nint. They do do that. That was the fastest conversation anyone's ever had with an int. <laughs> no, I was saying uh, gravity works different in Alien. I mean, when they first see the eggs, like the moisture is dripping up, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, but that, I really liked that effect. But that did make me wonder if that was, I wasn't sure if that was a gravity thing or if just somehow that's like the eggs, like, beating pulsating it's like pushing liquids up as it's getting ready to open also my question i had earlier about xenomorph oh there used to be a guy in the gorlian rest discord who would come in when we were watching the alien movies and he's just like they're not called xenomorphs they never (laughs) call them that in the first movie it's not until the second one it just it's like a stupid thing that the producers made and he got so mad about it and it's like dude they're starbies calm down (laughs) Do face huggers hatch before they know they have a host? Because it seems like this is like a one egg, one host situation. I don't think they do, but I could be wrong. I mean, it seems like a. It seems like um. I was thinking of Venus flytraps today, where uh, this egg seemingly responded to stimulus similar to that of a Venus flytrap, which I grow. I think it could be that. I mean. I don't think it would expend energy and hatch if nothing is around for it to. I feel like face huggers don't live long if no. there's nothing yeah. right. for them to to parasite off of. How long? I mean, you played the AVP games. You know how fragile the face huggers are. Like, oh god, that was fun. Like the most stressful part of that game is when you first start as an alien. But uh, crawling around on the walls. Jumping in a nurse's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping out as a chest burster. And oh, that was such a great game. But I love how the... do I go in a time? How do I go in a time machine? And just back to us playing 
AVP2 online in high school. Oh my gosh. But then I'd have to be in high school. Yeah, I don't want to <laughs> do that sucked. again. Don't want to do no. that again. But I guess that like that classic like xenomorph sound, like that scream only came in aliens, right? Because we don't hear it in this one. Right. Oh, that's no. We don't really get that screech, do we? Yeah. Now that you mention it. Um, we uh, I think also as a kid I had seen before this um Spaceballs. Oh my god. And Spaceballs so that totally like that scene. Yeah. Totally ruined it for me cuz it was still gross but then it does that Edward J Frog. Yeah. Hello my baby. Hello my My, Hello, my, my mom my would talk about how terrifying that scene was in theaters like no one knew it was coming and the whole theater screamed. But like yeah, we had all seen Spaceballs before we saw Alien. So yep. like we were expecting a dancing and i mean the little alien was still kind of cute in a ridiculous way how it like scurries away somehow with no legs but uh yeah were you guys digging the vibe i was really digging the vibe of uh harry d stanton and uh uh, what's the other guy's name kane no not koto oh yeah fat koto yeah Parker. parker parker Parker, Parker and Brett, the two of them together Best. as the the half share guys, yeah. right. are bring a nice little bit of levity to this movie. <laughs> right, just 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 a touch. Let's talk about the really bonus. Fun. Let's talk about the bonus situation, right? Right, right. <laughs> and that whole discussion of them being like, "Hey, it's not in my contract to go <laughs> looking up." these uh finding these uh sos beacons hey if they and then had... they're like no actually it, it's right here in your contract that you will forfeit all pay if you don't and they're they're immediately like okay let's let's go find these beacons <laughs> totally money driven he was in um he was in midnight run right he was the fbi was. agent yeah yeah Uh, so at this point, mother wakes everyone up halfway back from their trip because there's a signal coming from a planetoid that's, it is really small though. So it's 1200 kilometers. So maybe they don't know about it. And it's, I like they say it's, it's 0.86 gravity, just close enough where they didn't have to fuck with any special effects with the actors. Smart. Yeah. But they, I mean... At that point in the movie, we think it's that SOS beacon, right? But later on, we realize, like, the Nostromo was diverted, so they knew it was there. Oh, right, because that was the primary objective. Right, so Ash gets that. Of this mission. Yeah. So they knew something was on that rock. It's a special order. I wrote it down. Special order 937. 937, yeah. Crew expendable, yeah. Retrieve organism. Um, so one one thing that I like coming from a Kerbal Space Program essence is when they detach the lander yeah. to go land the shuttle to go land on the planet. They don't do a Star Wars style. Exactly. No swipe cut. Burn, burn <laughs> yeah. all the way down to the planet. No. They're in orbit and they just do one little burn just to deorbit themselves just enough to slow and them down. You can down see on so the camera go... on the uh, computer, you can see that trajectory, right? Mm-hmm. 
Oh, that's cool. So I cool. love the the rotating rec the yeah. blue rectangle 3D trajectory mapping was so cool. And then it's like, goddamn, where was this technology when Dallas is in the air vents and you just have two <laughs> dots on a <the> screen? <laughs> yeah, that was I love that whole scene. Uh like nothing is easy. There's actual work involved in just landing something. Don't just teleport so, to the surface. You don't like swipe cut yeah. there. Yeah. I like that you point out that that was a rough landing because it looked like a pretty gentle, easy landing. But in space travel, nothing is gentle or easy. Yeah, I mean, everything still went haywire inside that landing pod or landing. I don't know shuttle. why this is when I made this note, but um, Lambert's hot. <laughs> <laughs> She's from the birds. Is she? Yeah. She I was... I, maybe it's just her haircut. I don't know. Something. She's got something going on. She was in The Birds. She was in uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Wait, how, how old was she in The Birds? Young. Yeah. Um, but she came to read for Ripley and then was cast for Lambert and didn't want to do it until Ridley Scott told her that Lambert basically represented the audience's reaction and how the audience was feeling or supposed to be feeling, which is why she's always panicked and anxiety ridden. Interesting. Yeah. I I like her performance is not over the top. It's very believable. She's not playing that. Well, look at the next movie, Bill oh, Paxton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's, there's a difference between how Lambert portrays panic and how uh what what's his character's name? H oh, Hicks. Oh no, Hicks is the main guy. Yeah. Uh, man, I forget. He's he's Bill Paxton to me, so. Yeah, he's Bill Paxton. <laughs> but yeah, um her acting was great and even the the chestburster scene where she just gets sprayed with blood. Like I've read some people have said like the actors didn't know it was going to happen, but I mean, they had read the script, but right. uh, I think what they didn't know was going to happen was so much blood was going to shoot out because she just gets it's one hit. thing to read something on paper. Yeah. And it's another to suddenly have a shotgun blast of red fake blood in your yeah. face. Yeah. Uh, everyone does such a great job. And that scene and how it goes from, it's also the turn of how it goes from like laughing mm -hmm. and just like, oh, the food ain't that bad. And just <laughs> progressively gets worse and worse. And then it's like, oh, no, he's having a heart attack. And then douche. And just, and everyone freezes after yeah, that. It's, except it's, for it's Ash. Bad. Ash seems to know what's going on. So Fucking Ash. Okay. Can I talk about Go, go catch some Pokemon, Ash. And how he's constantly drinking milk in this movie. And then how, like, he bleeds milk, too. Uh-huh. Like... I didn't... I didn't... Wait, I didn't notice the milk drinking. He drinks milk, like, three or four times in this movie. And then, like, his sweat is made out of white stuff. And then, like... I don't like the sweat. Yeah. It's upsetting And then, to like, you. android blood is, like, milk from here on out. I don't... Like, I don't like that androids in the alien world are made of fettuccine alfredo <laughs> it's just like it's really upsetting to me oh man 
Um, okay, honestly, anytime anyone mentions Jonesy, um, which Jonesy starts to come in around here, yeah, I think of Jonesy, the guy from Seeger Ross. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> and anyway, I always he mentions Jonesy. I just hear like Nephile, <laughs> Oh well, I mean, um, you've ruined Jonesy for me now. But <laughs> sorry, I have so many friends who've named their orange cats Jonesy, though. Guilty. I had yeah, one. nice. And uh, there's a Ripley in the family too, huh, Sean? There is. Yeah, yeah. Named my dog after her. Um, Josh, there's, I, I, I was interested in your thought here of, as this three man crew is going out towards the spaceship, uh, the spaceship, one, that horseshoe design is ridiculous and so cool. But what do you think of how it goes? It turns a little bit into a found footage movie. Yes. Going through the helmet feed. Oh, yeah. That's exactly my note. I said it looks like something out of Paranormal Activity because it's like security cam looking, you know, not super handheld shaky cam uh, with and you can see the scan lines and everything. It's so cool. And I love the idea that they were out there. uh, I mean, you're putting this together, you know, on the day and you're like, okay. At the time, you have this crappy little camera that you're film- <laughs> filming them with <laughs> so you can transmit it back. And they, they've got to be like, what are we doing? But it's so cool. I have no idea. Uh, all the screens and lights and everything that are in this, that are they're all practical. You know, if you right. show something in there, they didn't green screen it in. It had to be there on the day. And then it's reflecting off of people's faces and off of all the other surfaces in there. You, They didn't even fake... Uh, what was on the screen. Like, they right. didn't just have, like, a null screen. If you see it on the shot, it has to be there. They can do inserts of stuff, but they created all of those pieces. Uh, and I I love that about it. Do you have... I wonder how they got around the the camera frame rate problem when showing old TVs and monitors on a camera, you would have the... The mm. bar, the oh, tracking the scan bar, line. Yeah, 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 going up or down the screen depending on the frame rates. Well, if and they, they match the monitor refresh with the frame rate of the camera. It wouldn't, I guess. Yeah. So uh, I think it was, um, it was the first the Westworld movie did something like that first, right? The Westworld movie, yeah, yeah. the one with uh, Yul Brenner. It had for like the robot's vision, it had like, they filmed a screen. So I'm sure they had figured it out by then. Hmm. Interesting. Unless that movie came out after, I don't remember. Well, I thought it was a, such a ingenious way to get around, like not cause it's a, it's a matte painting of the horseshoe. Right. Mm-hmm. So how, how do we present this in a way that's scary to the audience without having to actually build this giant set? And so to go through that head cam footage was way more effective, honestly, than even having like a big set because I, I, I still think a good found footage movie can work really well uh, in yeah. that feeling of immersion 
and being there in the moment. And um, so now we get just, I mean, the, the set design alone has I, it's already been monumental just on the spaceships, but now we're so going to get all into the miniature work. H, um, now yeah. we're getting into HR Giger land. So there and this was is a, where, this is where the movie like evolves. Yeah. There was supposed to be a big pyramid scene, which was cut because of budget issues. Because they had to save that for AVP. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly we needed the pyramid for avp but yeah like where all the eggs were was supposed to be in like some pyramid which i guess they later revisited in prometheus um but yeah it got cut due to budget constraints and everything ended up in that horseshoe ship which sense of scale inside that ship is still incredible when they walk in well and when you see uh the navigator yeah that's astonishing because it like that camera pulls back and it just keeps going and Huge, going. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't think any other movie, there's not many movies that would go to this painstaking effort to create something like this, like this navigator, which is this incredible design and idea and then to just leave it on the table yeah. and not go back to it and not call it out or use it or explain it, but to just leave it there. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a really incredible thing to do. That's great. I mean, it kept us captivated for like 40 years after, right? That's right. That, that was like the big... Is that Prometheus or Covenant? Prometheus. When we, is it? Yeah. Prometheus was good. I, I like Prometheus. I think Covenant sucks. I have so many problems with Covenant. I mean, oh, happy to hear that. I have. I mean, you already know how much I like the Alien Queen, right? And how I don't know. I know this isn't about Covenant, but I love some of the. No, designs. go, go. Hey, go for it. So what? I don't recall. I mean, in, in Prometheus and Covenant, if we, we're going to spoil those movies, if you haven't, but. So there's the the architects or the engineers. Engineers, yeah. So and then they turn into black goo and no, go into the so river systems. The engineer ingests the black goo on okay. Earth. So basically someone made a flowchart online somewhere of like black goo <laughs> plus some organism equals something. So like black goo plus engineers equals life on Earth. Uh Black goo plus humans equals after, I guess, impregnating another human equals that bizarre squid creature. Uh, the pink, the pink alien. No, no, no that's the no, deacon. That's a different one. Or wait, they have the, a name for that? For are you talking about the one at the end of Co- of Prometheus? Yeah, if, no. A t- end of covenant oh the one at the end of prometheus at the end of prometheus oh yeah that's a, that, that was called the deacon i'm talking about the thing that shaw gives birth to right with all the tentacles that kills the engineer interesting so they okay so they don't use any queens at all no so i mean it, what covenant gets into is david the android has somehow become obsessed with these organisms and this black goo and has engineered his own organism, which is the xenomorph. 
I liked David the engineer, or David the android in the yeah. first movie, and then the second one. The fuck is going on? With Michael him and Fassbender Walter? is oh, teaching yeah. Michael Fassbender's te- teaching Michael Fassbender <laughs> how to do fellatio via playing a flute. Pretty much. And oh, here, let me finger it for you. I mean, like, what? What? You're that acting movie like was you're... off the rails, and Danny McBride is not. You're you're acting he's so, like Danny all McBride these movies... is so distracting because <laughs> he's just Danny McBride. And yeah. everything that he's in, he's Danny McBride. And so, like, to put him in this situation where he's like, I'm the space pilot, my wife died <laughs> on the planet surface. It's like, no, no, I'm Just, not. You, sir, are no uh, John Hurt? No, who's the navigator in this? Oh, in Kane, in right? Alien. Is it yeah, Kane? John Hurt. Yeah. It is John Hurt. Okay. That, and now, is John Hurt the elephant man? Yeah. Yeah, he is. Ah, that's cool. I, I just saw that movie in the past year for the first time. And John yeah, Hurt I mean, and John Hurt are two different guys. What? John Hurt and John Hurt are two different guys. Who's John Hurt? He's, he's John in... Hurt is in this movie. No, who I said Hurd. <laughs> oh, Hurd. <laughs> See? Who's John Hurd? <laughs> Uh, he's, he, he's a kind of a blonde dude, uh, in a, for a long time. I remember I just saw him in after hours. He was a bartender in after hours. Uh, but yeah, he's like a character actor, dude. He's just a lot more. Oh, v- vanilla. No, dude. How are you not going home alone? Dad for John Hurd? Oh, really? Oh, uh, cause I haven't Josh. seen home alone in like 20 years. What? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what? Over oh, twenty hey. years, probably. Yeah. Okay, Sean, you okay. just rewatched. Remember, those, right? remember, remember that list we have about <laughs> times the host of this show <laughs> le- most let you down. Yeah, 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 this is going on the list. Hold on. <laughs> Speaking of that, Sean, have you seen Casablanca yet? No. <laughs> no, but I did call it Casanova the other week. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Same thing. Ah, Josh, you never fail to let me down. It's 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 really amazing. I'm the gift that uh, keeps on taking. You're welcome. <laughs> it's really cool. I like how uh, their three sh- um, their suits vent those plumes of gas out the tops oh, of their yeah, heads. Yeah. That's fun. How is and space then... so wet in this movie? It's because it's Giger space. It everything is slimy. Even the. Uh, the exterior of the spaceship, like there's sparkles and water that comes off of it. Space is wet, man. What can I tell you? Space yeah, is also a... cold. Yes. So maybe it's condensation. Oh, man, I want to clip in. There's this 40. It's like a 42 minute black metal song. And at one point, like 33 minutes into this song, they cut into this like very ambient part where an astronaut talks about what it's like to be on an EVA, and he talks about how the darkness is not nothing, but it's like a, a very thin water oh, that you can wild. feel around you. And Ooh. then after that, then it's like, and then it's like, and then like really big black metal after that. It's rad. 
Well, but... <laughs> you're going to find uh, that clip, right? Oh, uh, yeah, we'll do it. Uh, crazy matte painting when uh, Kane descends down the rope into the hatchery. With just a stunning matte painting. Just all the lighting in that scene with like the mist and that blue laser going across. Dude, the so blue laser cool. cutting across the fog to create like one single plane yeah. of visible fog creates the coolest effect because it does look it looks like a floating viscous liquid. Exactly. Yeah. Above above this egg surface. Uh, and the sound inside there, like when he gets closer to where the eggs are, that like rattling, like hissing sound. I don't know if there's something innate in humans where we fear things that rattle like that, but uh, that always creeps me out. Yeah, I I run away every time I hear a cicada. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Going to... Going to Nashville last year was a harrowing ordeal. <laughs> we got nothing um, but cicada sounds. Josh, what'd you think of Egg Room and similar to Prometheus, just dumb human getting way too close to something that is clearly dangerous? It reminds me of like tourists in Yellowstone who think they can just walk up to a, a buffalo and pet it. Hey, you know what? At least they had their helmets on, unlike in covenant where they just took their helmets off oh my okay no more covenant fair point oh was that covenant when the guy touches the snake monster thing no that that's prometheus that's covenant yeah yeah covenant that was the guy that was the guy from possum josh (gasps) the guy from possum is the guy who's in prometheus with the mohawk who touches the the first alien thing yeah oh i hate him possum guy I hate him. No, but he, he was a great performance in a bad movie. Oh, that's right, that's right. <laughs> we liked him, we just didn't like the movie. But, um, yeah, just what what do you think of that that sequence as he gets attacked and that we get our first little face hugger scene? Oh, the whole bit and the way that it's cut, you go from, like, we're in a straight sci-fi movie to we're in a horror movie now. Like, the way that it's dripped in there, it it doesn't, you know, the next movie takes a hard shift. Yeah. This one, it's like sprinkled over the top until it like eventually evolves uh-huh, uh-huh, into something else. And like the whole going back to sound, I don't know if they did this in any of the other movies because we didn't really dwell on the eggs much, but the egg is so detailed and then when it opens up it like has like a hissing sound like something is releasing it's just oh man i wish they had kept that for the other movies too but the way the egg kind of looks like a fried egg on a skillet when they bubble and just there's something viscous and bubbling happening on the surface of this thing it's really gross. And then when it opens up and he looks inside and there's it's all this like pink goo, but this like white yeah. spider web threading of mucus or something. It's so gross. And like I feel like as soon as this man 
saw well i would not have gone <laughs> down there but then like as soon as i saw like their eggs i'm like fuck no yeah but then he sees like there's movement it's like fuck no dude yeah what are the you egg still is doing like, in there the egg is kind of translucent right on the side mm-hmm. it looks like a have you ever seen a shark egg exactly yeah yeah, so like they know something's there and it's like moving a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I guess you got to be brave to be a space trucker. Um, you, you've got so to look it up they... shark eggs now, Sean. <laughs> They're cool looking. They're, wow. uh, you can at the, yeah, uh, there you go. At the aquarium, Stephen Birch Aquarium, you can go and like hold the spiral shark eggs and stuff it's pretty cool oh weird i miss when i lived in monterey for a year i was an aquarium member and that nice. was the best was going down there at like 3 30 in the afternoon and hanging out for an hour and a half before it closed but after all the kids had left right wonderful Aquariums wonderful experience they are dude. and also aquariums are also great because i just zoos make me feel gross even really great zoos like the san diego zoo yeah i don't like certain aspects of it specifically like big predatory cats um animals that are meant to roam thousands of miles migratory yeah migratory it doesn't feel right there are certain animals that i think yeah you can have in a zoo no problem and the san diego zoo is like a world-class one that i grew up with and i still felt this guilt about it so now think about like seeing a fucking bear in Central Park in a concrete block or whatever back in the day. And zoos are bummers, but aquariums, aquariums are not. I don't, I don't, I don't think a fish gives a shit. <laughs> well, the octopus do. There was yeah. that one octopus at the uh, Seattle Aquarium who actually figured out like it figured out the staff's routines and it figured out how to get out of its own enclosure. So like it would, after the staff left, it would get out, go over to another enclosure, take some fish and then go back to its own enclosure. And I guess they kept on realizing like fish were disappearing and they set up cameras and then they found out what was going on. Pretty wild. Same thing happened in lawnmower man when the monkey at the beginning learns about the security protocol <laughs> yeah. and punches in the the security pin and murders a security guard on its way out. It's, oh yeah. You know. You know, you got to watch these animals, man. They're they're sneaky. They're shifty. Yeah. Uh so they bring back um Kane and this is where Ripley in the director's cut wants to maintain quarantine. So in in the theatrical does it just does Ash just let them in straight away? Yeah, so in the theatrical, Ripley says, like, there's quarantine procedures, and then Ash just lets them in immediately. There's not... Okay, so there she isn't, doesn't fight with Dallas is, about, this is a direct order, I know, I'm not doing it. Well, there is, like, a yeah. little bit... There's a little bit of a fight, but it's not, like, drawn out. It's way shorter yeah. than in the director's cut. And... He says something about, I'm your captain, and she's like, well, not when you're not on the ship. Yeah. You know, like, when you're gone, I'm the, I'm in charge. And you would but do the same Ash thing. then Ash just opens it. So. Yeah, it's, it's seriously like four lines back and forth, and then Ash opens it. 
Yeah, but that's... I like when um, Parker, and I think it's Parker who keeps yelling, or maybe it's uh, Harry Dean Stanton, why don't you just freeze him? Why don't you just freeze him <laughs> over and over? Just like, <laughs> fucking freeze the guy. And it's, it is fun of, sometimes the lowest man on the chain of command has the best idea. Hey, well, mm-hmm. Lambert said we should just get on the shuttle and blow the ship up like super early on. But, uh, I mean, that's what they end up doing in the end. Could have just listened to her. Lambert was right all along. <laughs> um, so now we're going to get, you know, we have the face hugger on him as they, they cut away the helmet, which is really cool. The look of the melted face place oh my plate God. of the helmet is rad. And um, the design the of the face hugger still, I mean, it's not cute like this guy. How it inflates. How it breathes. Yeah. And it's, it's, and, breathing. and so it's clearly, it's, it's clearly, I would imagine, pumping air exactly in, into him. Because they say it's breathing for him, right? So yeah. that's why, like, we know Ash has ulterior motives, but, like, his main reason for not wanting to remove it is, oh, if we remove it, Kane could die. Because it's clearly breathing for him. So I thought it was interesting in this movie how much more dangerous acid blood is. In this next in scene, space. where they they cut they cut the they cut the knuckle, yeah, and just this little spurt of blood goes through three or four levels of the ship before it and, loses its. And the instant fear is, oh, it could burn a hole in the hull, right? And they're in space, which would just wreck everything. Now, I don't know, like a hole in the hull of a spaceship. I don't think it's quite as dramatic as we've been led to believe from movies because it's only a dip- it's only a difference of one atmosphere as far as like the pressure difference. It's like it it's nothing compared to what a submarine with the right. pressure difference between what a submarine goes through. Nothing compared to that. So I feel like a hole in the hole I mean, the International Space Station, I believe in the past year, they had an air leak somewhere on that thing that they had to find. Yeah. Are you, are Josh, are you not cool with there being air leaks on spaceships? You, you seem to object with my, yeah, my take that that's not that bad. <laughs> well, the air that's currently inside the spaceship is the air that you breathe and live through, and the <laughs> air outside is not so much, and the twain should not mix. <laughs> i don't i don't like that well said well said i'm gonna get the tween shall not mix <laughs> tattooed <laughs> um oh so it, it it frustrated me how later on when the alien just leaves his face all ideas of like quarantine and safety protocol or just out the window as everyone's tiptoeing around in this room where they know there's an alien somewhere in this room and yet nobody has nobody's armed nobody's ready to do anything they're it, it's just hubris at this point oh yeah and it later just falls on ripley right that was hilarious this limp little noodle falling <laughs> off the ceiling on a ripley's shoulder yeah that like when they're dissecting the face hugger after it's dead 
it's just so detailed. Like I know they use like shellfish and pieces of fish or whatever to make it look fleshy, but it just it looks so real. That's interesting because I definitely looked at one layer and was like, I swear that looks like an oyster. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. fleshy bit in, on the underside. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes. And as you said, you know, Ash has been on the side of the company all along. Ripley wants to destroy the corpse. Ash wants to keep it in Dallas. Dallas is... Dallas seems like the kind of captain who may be a bit too chummy with his crew and has kind of lost some of his authority. Yeah, he definitely... What, what's what's your take? I, I feel like he doesn't want any problems anywhere. He just kind of wants to get home and wants to kind of do the bare minimum necessary to skate by. And, uh, because his lack of backbone with Ash is, is kind of striking, especially knowing that like he was with a different science officer for like five different, uh, deployments. And then they changed it up at the very last second with Ash. So like Ash is a new person to him. It's not like, there's history. Uh, Sean, I wondered if you felt any comparison between um, Dallas and the uh, the U-boat captain in Das Boot. Ooh. Oh, interesting. Um, n- not really. Like it's it's a similar idea of taking this con- closed vessel through this area, but in Das Boot, that captain was dealing with essentially children and new recruits, mm-hmm. and he was the old veteran. And in this one, Scarrett might be a little older than some of the others on this crew, but he still feels very much a part of them. Whereas the captain in Das Boot, I cannot see him sitting around the breakfast table yeah. joking around with a bunch of the, his guys like this. Okay. I I think space, it's also the idea of, I think it's the idea of a military operation versus a a privatized, like, business trucker uh, as well, where maybe you don't need that divide between officer and crew like you do in the military. That's a good point, yeah. Because, I, mean, I, I mean, you can then throw in Master and Commander into this discussion. Well, these space movies, they're just boat movies in space, right? <laughs> but, es- essentially, <laughs> yes. Like, Jaws in space. Un- under, yes. underwater, underwater and outer space have a lot of shared properties. Space yeah. Marines. It's scary. It's, uh, Everything wants to kill you. Yeah. Have you guys done The Abyss on this show yet? No. No. Ooh. I love the abyss. Man. I feel like rewatching that. Could do a a whole director's cut versus theatrical with that one, too. Very true. Giant Has that been released on Blu-ray or anything? Or is Cameron like not? I feel like I I keep seeing that it's it's in the works or it's been announced. I don't know if there's a 4K abyss yet. He's just too busy doing Avatar or Yep. Well, I don't know if he can, uh, because you see how deeply he goes when he does a, a director's Exactly, cut. yeah. And 
I don't know if he can devote the time to it, you know, given everything else he does. I was looking at his filmography earlier today, actually, and it's surprisingly small given how long he's been working. Yeah. I feel like... Uh, no, he doesn't... He does not turn and burn movies. Did no. you guys ever watch Entourage? Nope. Yeah. So you remember the whole Jason Cameron bit? I feel like... like that that showed a lot of problems, but I do love when they brought in like Cameron and like learning about, yeah, he's probably exactly like that in real life. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So yeah, his, his time is definitely precious. He's too busy inventing things. <laughs> I think that's the problem nowadays is in order for him to make a movie, he first has to invent the method to make the movie. And then make the movie. Yeah. That's like, uh, was it the saying, to make an apple pie from scratch, first you have to invent the universe? Woo. Yeah. Okay, Nietzsche. I, uh, I don't think that's nihilistic at all. It's definitely got not, nothing to do with... <laughs> uh, I, I feel like you're basically saying that pies are a flat circle. Excuse well, me. They, what? They, they they frequently are. A disc. <gasps> I don't know. <laughs> We're getting in the Where weeds here. <laughs> uh, they fix the shuttle. They get back on the ship. Kane is awake. Yay! And um, God, these. You know, I when Gorley and Russ talked about at one point last year for like coziest things in movies. I believe I put down having breakfast with the crew of the Nostromo hmm. as one of like the coziest things that I remember. And it's just sitting around shooting the shit, drinking coffee. Everyone has bed head and these weird haircuts. It just looks like great fun. And it totally puts you off guard. I mean, if you didn't know what's coming, you're finally like relaxed, right? Yeah. For like the, this is our first moment of relief and, I don't know, 30 minutes? Yeah. This this moment here, this breakfast, probably since the last time they had breakfast was the last time we <laughs> yeah. felt this mm-hmm. unarmed. And Ash is also uh, drinking milk in this scene. So, um, this is yeah, where, in because uh, this isn't the first time I've watched him in HD, but, you know, this time... Yeah, I've got my monitor like super close to me. I'm watching it uh, like I'm in, immersed in it that I'm really seeing the details in a lot of mm-hmm. the the costuming, uh, a lot of the choices they made, the pink piping along the edge of the collars and like the button up areas of the shirts, uh, the, really the detail on the patches. I got like a, a cheap version of the hat where it's all stitched on. It's not a separate patch. Uh, and until I saw this, I was like, my hat's pretty cool. I see this. I'm like, God dang it. It's got to yeah. it's got to be a better hat. I'm jealous of yours now cuz uh I you know I went with the cheap option, but um it's really where you see the clothing detail and all of the environmental detail. Like Definitely. the nicks and on everything and like little scratches and um later on the the spacesuit like there's detailing all around the neck and you're just like god dang they they did all that. They made all these yeah. things. Yeah, that. What do you think the walls of the Nostromo feel like? Which part of the Nostromo? I'm, pict- I'm picturing the 
the paneling. Oh. It looks padded to me. Mm-hmm. I, I can almost feel the padded walls surrounding this ship almost as if some OSHA in the case of emergency or sud- sudden maneuvering and you get tossed around. Yeah. Hopefully you hit one of these padded walls of this thing. Yeah, you know, um some uh some uh planes and like in airports sometimes the the wall is kind of not carpeted but soft. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I'm thinking of. See, I'm I'm going full pad like like asylum padding. Depression. You just yeah. want this to be session nine so bad. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to make it happen. <laughs> um. So at this point, what happens next? Uh, I got Brett oh. and uh, who's her face? Um, go to look for Jonesy, or oh Harry D. Stanton. Go to look for Jonesy. Oh, I love. Harry D. Stanton, when he goes to look for Jonesy and he takes that break, mm-hmm. this little moment of respite in this rain room. Oh, yeah. This yeah, room. Yeah. I want to do yoga in this room. I want to <laughs> meditate in this room. The dangling uh-huh. chains are like wind chimes. The lighting is nice. You got this like pillar of light in the middle with this like pleasing fresh water raining down on you. What is this room? I don't know. There's a lot of condensation there. Yeah, it's it's the chains and rings. It felt like it was room. the water. It felt like this was the water recycling Could plant be. somehow. Because he gets taken up into a vent, right? Or was that? Yeah, there's one. Oh, there's one great shot. The first, I think it's the first time we see the full size alien, and it's just silhouetted. I believe it's like holding on to the chains. Yeah. As we look down through the chains and you just see the silhouette of it. And you oh, see those cool. the, the things in the back, man. And now we learn the true villain of this movie. Jonesy. <laughs> oh, he just watches. He does not care. He just watches. Doesn't care. Does not care one I I bit. knew you were going to bring this up because I know you love cats. I'm not anti-cat. I'm just and this there cat was one in particular. Point, Sean, where you said if I got a cat, we weren't friends anymore. Do you remember that? I might have. I might have played up in my past for comedic purposes. All you would say is, it's you going know what? To you know what my body when I die. That's all you would say. And I was like, wait I'm a not- second. <laughs> have you not gotten any new material? You told me that like three days ago. <laughs> Don't expose. <laughs> don't expose that I've just been doing the same bit for 18 years now, please. Please. Oh boy. No, but this cat, man, like it causes first it doesn't care at all about uh is that that's Brett, right? About yeah. Brett being killed. Doesn't care at all. It just watches. And then it gives us our first jump scare fucking, in the show it, too. But it and it gives us a jump scare. Yeah, yeah. gives and us two jump scares. Fucking yeah! At the end, it jump scares Ripley, and it just keeps running away. And I, I j- Ripley, this cat is not worth saving. I'm just gonna say it. Aww. I know. I know that book says save the cat for the screenplay. Not this one. 
um, this one. If you, uh, a couple years ago when I had jury duty, I was reading the alien, uh, novelization. How often, how often are you in jury duty, bud? (laughs) So I got called in 2019 and I was an alternate and then I never got called again until last year I went and I got sent home. And then this year I went, I was, I went in on a Thursday. I was like, okay, no one ever gets chosen on a Thursday. There's like barely any cases. I show up, the lady running everything is like, yeah, there's not, it's pretty light load. Most of you guys can go home around lunch. I get called like the very first round and I get chosen for this criminal case. And that's where I was like the past week. Um, but yeah, before that, I was reading the, I, sorry, what'd you say? Sorry, I got summoned once for jury duty about 13 years ago. And I went and left at lunchtime, and I've never gotten another piece of mail about it since. Oh, I'm sure your mom's. Been you just mail. you need to move. You need to move. <laughs> You've lived in the same place too long. I'm if sure you, your mom's getting you all moved, your mail. Probably, but I also <laughs> moved at one point. I moved like five times in the span of eighteen months. Yeah, and I think some some government things lost track of me during all that. Do you think they still think you're in Boulder? Yes, because I am. Oh, right. <laughs> this is Nashville, Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in the novelization, it talks about Jonesy and how, like, Jonesy is just not scared of anything. And uh, there's, like, a surprising amount of that book devoted to that cat. And, like... Um, who did that? Was it Alan Dean Foster? Um, I don't remember off the top of my head. Okay. I read all three at once, and I highly recommend it, especially the second book, just because it gives you so much more context to a lot of the stuff. Have you How read this... the the William Gibson one? Uh, let me look it up, actually. Um, how did this alien get so big so fast? Um, because it's an efficient organism. The... The perfect organism, as Ash would say. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it was feeding on. In the games, you don't get that big so fast. But, uh, yeah, Alan Dean Foster oh. did the first one. And then, okay. actually, Alan Dean Foster did the second one, too. Cool. And then did the third one as well. Good for him. And did not do the fourth one. <laughs> no. Josh, what you got oh. as Dallas goes into the air vent? Dude, I can't. I can't. <laughs> that, that part, uh, you know, the, the ocean frightens me and tight places <laughs> frighten me. I don't like either extreme. Houses. We belong in houses. Maybe big buildings, <laughs> this, but that's about it. This is too confining for you? Oh, yeah. Okay, see, this doesn't really snap my claustrophobia. It gets me a all. little bit. Okay. Um, he's... His plan is very bad. <laughs> very bad plan. The, the airlock it's plan? Decent plan. Terrible execution. I... One, the camera aperture vents... 
are incredible. Yeah. Anything that opens and closes like a camera lens, I I I love it. But he puts himself immediately into situations where he sits at a T junction or even a four-way junction and so he could be attacked from any direction. These motion sensors are basically worthless as it's just two <laughs> dots and they say it's coming right for you. Then when he gets the message from Lambert, like, oh, God, it's coming right for you. Instead of, like, find a wall, put your back to it, yeah. ready the flamethrower, he climbs down a ladder, completely disarming himself, and then you get that one little clip of, like, no, the other way, and then <laughs> gone. I love Lambert in that and scene. <laughs> she's great. The alien... Throwing up its little hands is kind of silly. <laughs> I hate. I hate to say it's it's kind of silly. There's there's two alien scenes which have not held up well. Everything else has held up great, but I think with that scene, what bothers me is like the webbed hands. For some reason, like they just look goofy, and it's just like maybe oops, yeah, sorry. maybe they didn't quite have the design of the hand because later on when it's climbing out of the shuttle and she's blasting it with then CO2. Creepy. Yeah. The, but the hands are still quite not it's not quite what I think of when I think of aliens. Yeah. It needs to be like a little clunky. Like the face huggers legs needs to be more spindly and like spider like. But I think they refine that later for sure. I mean, this was still... It is a great... Regard, regardless of, like, that that being a little camp, a little silly, the tension building in this oh, scene yeah. is wonderful, and experiencing it, again, through Lambert, our mm-hmm. audience um, projector. Audience, yeah. I can't think of the word right now. Surrogate. Um, surrogate, thank you, exactly. Uh, we get to hear her and, like, feel her terror and panic through this. I also think Lambert and Dallas have hooked up in the past. Oh, for sure. Whoa. For sure. Glad you agree. <laughs> I mean, I do like the chemistry of the of the crew is great because like you know Parker and Brett are buddies. And like Kane is kind of a floater, you know. Lambert and Dallas are close. Well, Josh and I talked last week, or last episode, um, about Seven Psychopaths. Oh, I love that. And Harry, oh, De- Harry, it's so good. So and good. Harry Dean Stanton is cast in that movie as the the Quaker yeah. priest, and he does not say a word. I don't think in that movie. But Josh and I were like. His character's unbelievable. Like just <laughs> just looking at this man, you feel the story like pulsating off of him. And so him and Yafet Koto together in this, yeah, they feel like old buds, the two of them. Exactly. I, like there's very few movies that give me that feeling, like the feeling that you're going on a journey with like people who have been together for a long time. Like I think Saving Private Ryan does it. Um, maybe some other movies do, but yeah, this did you know that one guy? Did you know that one guy's character in Saving Private Ryan is from New York? 
Sean, have have you seen the the David Lynch parodying Stan movie? I like interview? that show. <laughs> it's good. Edward Burns. <laughs> it says Brooklyn on his back. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my other favorite joke how do you know someone's a fan of the band tool they'll tell you <laughs> what josh i'm, li- I'm listening again uh have, have you seen that harry dean stanton david lynch interview no who, who oh. interviews who it's well it's just a conversation i guess um but it would be very much up your alley. The The quote that I remember from it is um, uh, David Lynch asks Harry, Harry, uh, what would you like to be remembered for when you're gone? And he says, <laughs> yeah. he's like, it doesn't matter. And he's like, well, what is yourself? He's like, there is no self. <laughs> he's just he's like the most <laughs> Zen old dude. And it's fantastic. Um. Yeah. Mother order nine three seven. Ripley goes into the computer room. Can I can I? Talk about one scene just before oh, this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when, yeah. So up until now, Ripley hasn't been able to access Mother, right? So mm-hmm. Ripley's been asking Ash things, and Dallas has had access. And Ripley is like me before I got Napster. <laughs> because then I was able to download Danzig Mother. There is. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Tell you two not to walk my way. Sorry, that was just one of the first MP3s ever downloaded. It was that and Celine Dion, My Heart Will Go On. I remember those were like the first time I ever used Winamp. 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 Really kicks the llama's ass. Oh my god. We had we had so many Winamp skins and like custom EQs. And oh, you remember Winamp we used skins. to send EQs? Back Fuck and yeah, forth. Winamp skins. Fuck yeah, dude. Dude. All right. I'm done interrupting you guys now. Starting (laughs) now. No, there's a line where Ripley asks, like, Ash about something, and Ash says, still collating. And, like, Ripley replies, still collating? And how she says that is, like, one of my favorite lines in this movie. I don't know why. But that's basically like when she realizes she needs to take control of this whole situation, right? I feel like it's also the moment where she's like, is this guy a robot? Who the fuck says collating? <laughs> right. It's true. Yeah, but then she she's like, I have access to Mother now. And she goes and she finds out about the special order. And then you have the and whole then we get Ash assault. Yeah. Ash fight. Yeah, Josh, what you got for the Ash fight? He turns into a real asshole. <laughs> oh, good night, folks. We'll see you in two weeks, maybe three, with our next episode. Uh, no, the uh, first of all, I, my notes. I said, "Holy shit, that's one strong Hobbit." Um, <laughs> oh my god! Whoa, that's Bilbo Baggins. Bilbo Baggins. Baggins. Wow, yeah. I didn't realize that. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, it, it's trying terrifying. To make a, this was his first movie, I'm right? trying to make a joke that he's 
too little butter spread on too much toast, but like it's not spread coming. thin. Yeah. My notes just say milk sweat, milk and sweat, then, which mm-hmm. is really gross. And then, milk, and then, yeah. Can we? Does anyone have any insight into um, Ash's chosen method of killing Ripley? No. Uh, which it's, is rolling up a magazine and trying to shove it down her mouth? So, yeah. Uh, I'm, a lot of that try- scene is like assault, right? And it's weird just how that is framed like with the pornography behind Ash's but right behind Ash is all the pornography. Oh, which Parker was reading earlier. Yeah, yeah. In the movie. And I mean, so just like any. I mean, the, sorry, keep going. No, I was going to say, but this is a good time to bring in Lambert later when the alien tail goes up between her yeah. legs. Mm-hmm. And I didn't quite get that either. Obviously, there's like this sexual implication of violence, so, but I wasn't really sure what was going on. So this whole movie. Really, anything Giger's designed, right, has some. And like with this movie, you have a creature who basically force impregnates you, right? And then you have yeah. the very like phallic nature of the xenomorph itself, and uh, like the whole the head mouth and- within a. The mouth within the mouth and the head. Yeah, and even if you look at, like, the original creature that the Xenomorph is based on, like, the whole head design is, I mean, I don't know if... uh, I have have a uh, Giger coffee table book that I used to leave out on my coffee table, but then guests would come over and look at it. That was your first mistake. (laughs) See? An alien... In a double penetration with two robots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll leave this one on the bookshelf. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just like the creature. There's like this assault with the creature, with the face hugger and everything, and then with the alien, like you said, and then with Ash as well. So there's a lot of that stuff in this movie, and there's a lot of like. When they were designing these creatures, or when Gear was, he wanted something like beautiful, but also deadly. Because, like, even if you look at the design of the alien queen, like her feet, like she's wearing high heels. Listen, I'll say it: aliens are a little sexy. They're supposed to be, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, opposite guys, of the right, guy, right, 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 guys. Oh. <laughs> That's oh Josh that's is the gone. line that Josh Josh walks away from me on that line. No, oh, no, that, <laughs> that ended the show. Me saying aliens are sexy. Oh no, Josh, you okay? Okay, he's back. You did you throw up? Was it was it me? This is saying that the alien was sexy. I had to get yeah. away from that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it was baby like uh, another dog came into our yard yesterday and Ooh. baby like attacked them. She didn't bite them, but she like pinned the dog down and was growling at it in a really terrifying way. And uh, just now she started making sounds like that. So I wanted to get her inside. Oh, yikes. Oh, oh, right. Because she just you just let her be outside. Yeah. 
I can't imagine that. Things are she's, different in Tennessee. You can just like leave your dog outside. She's on an electric fence. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. She she's not. I mean, she doesn't wear well, a collar then, most then, of the time. Then I say it's that other dog's fault. Oh, totally. You don't start nothing. It won't be nothing. How did it? How did it get in your yard? That's crazy. Well, it wasn't wearing the electric fence. Collar. Oh, right, yeah. the collar. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. It's not a Jurassic Park. It's not. Fence. It's, it's not. It's not a force field. Um, so I like when Parker hits Ash with the fire extinguisher or whatever, and it just, it, it breaks the computer. And so it just goes into full on spin mode. The the sound sound that it's making is twirling around and puking milk and twirling. (laughs) It's, it's pretty great. It's pretty great. And then the, the fettuccine Alfredo really comes out when the head gets detached. Yeah. And that's fun when the body, the, the headless body is still attacking. And then um, I, I think this reanimator detached head talking mm-hmm. effect of, you know, in reanimator, they always put yeah. the professor's head in a desk or in a little silver platter on a yeah, tray. Yeah. So that yeah, way yeah. You, get, you get the actor to stick their head up through. It's it's fun. It's old timey, like this is fun movie. making. This is the one scene that Ridley Scott is not happy with. Because. uh the Ian Hall the transfer from prosthetic so the to prosthetic actor is clunky the prosthetic the latex cured wrong and made uh Ian Holmes face like into this weird grin at the end where he's like smiling it, weird it looks kind of like bub from day of the dead yeah totally yeah no though that then it wasn't necessarily the introduction of the switch from prosthetic to actor, but it was more the cut out. Exactly. When we go from actor back to the prosthetic, that the face change was really and jarring. He's, like, if you listen to interviews with that, he's still like not happy with that last part, but they didn't have the money to redo it because that latex mold was expensive, I guess. It's not. It's so obvious what the effect is that I don't think it really diminishes this movie. I understand yeah. that he wants that to be perfect, but it's such a silly effect to begin with of sticking an actor's head through a table to have them have like a disembodied head talking. This is the second time they do it, right? Because they do it at the chestburster scene because the whole torso is fake and it's just John Hurt's arms and head sticking out of the table oh i did okay i thought after was it was just a squib initially right when he's writhing around right right and then when okay. the and then they yeah, have got, to have okay. the puppeteer because like the table's the table. there and then he's basically crouched with his head through a hole and his arms through a hole and then the puppeteer is right next to him puppeteering the little alien baby Gotcha. But yeah, this scene with Ash is still really cool. Just like the voice modulation that they added and like oh, I, I, that modulation was great. And, yeah. And he's like, it was upsetting how much milk was on this man's face. Right? <laughs> right? It's so much. There's, he's a creamy boy. Well, I mean, <laughs> okay. So he's an android. 
So he probably couldn't digest all the milk he's been drinking this whole movie. Probably all just comes out. That's what I'm saying. You know how you know he's an android? How? Uh huh. I, Every I bet line I he says has a green bubble. <laughs> oh, oh, I man. thought you were going to say because he's paranoid. Paranoid? What? <laughs> That's a Radiohead reference. Yeah, paranoid android. Sorry, bud. You lost me on that one. Oh. Also, I, I'm a green bubble, and anytime I hear on podcasts or anywhere in life, iPhone people complain about us green bubble people. It just makes me feel happy. It just it it fills me still with that feeling of like teenage rebellion of just like <laughs> yeah, well, fuck your system and fuck the man. Like I'm out dude. here being a rebel, a Samsung rebel. <laughs> hey. Hey, that's why we're friends. I think you had a droid like way back in the day too, right? Sean? I had a droid that had the slide out, the slide out keyboard. Like a, yeah, the droid with the slide out. Oh my god, what I wouldn't give today for a physical keyboard on a phone. Oh, mama, I could type like the wind back then, dude. I still remember I'm terrible your, at these screens. I still terrible. remember your uh, your clutch like dying. Uh, ringtone. What was it? Was it from Clutch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, I had that as a ringtone? No, you had... Crank? Crank. Crank 2. Yeah, that's the one. I don't know why I said Clutch. Yeah, that's why I sang clutch there. Yeah. But uh yeah, no, I had I had the crank ring tune tone and um people would often ask me if my phone was dying. <laughs> <laughs> Good times. Oh, you you loved that movie, man. I remember all the little films you made. That was like your outro. It's like oh, that clip that, yeah, crank. I, I I made a whole Josh, for one class, I made a whole montage of grotesque movie scenes featuring songs by Deftones and Aphex Twin. And then at the very okay. end for my credits, after like this nine minute long thing that I edited, I had edited by Sean Perry. And then I had a <laughs> song called Strapping Young Lad, You Suck. And the song just goes... Tell me how much you fucking suck. Hell yeah, you fucking suck. Even your girlfriend fucking sucks. Hell yeah, you fucking suck. And then it's just Jason Statham on fire, giving the middle finger to the camera. <laughs> and oh that's my God. how I ended this video. <laughs> I don't know why I remember that so well. <laughs> I love that. Oh, man, you're... Azam, you're like the historian for all the cringe things that I would love to forget about Dude, myself. You used to email me i have to send you some of these just random thoughts like in bullet form <laughs> that you would have <laughs> i gotta send some oh. of this to you <laughs> it's genuinely genuinely a wonder yeah. that our paths have not diverged <laughs> over time azam it, oh, it really perplexes me yeah it's been a while I think the secret is we give each other enough space at times where like we can kind of like drift out a little bit and then drift back in yeah i mean we can go for weeks without talking and then just like play for a whole saturday right so get back into it yeah, yeah. 
Although it is awkward when I see you in person. Yeah, we don't know what to do. No. <laughs> we don't. So I eat, eat burritos and see movies. And after that, it's like, well, we don't really have anything else in common. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it makes no sense. No, but it's fun when we get to play guitar together. Just because, like... Oh, it's good. It's good. It just never results in anything. Yeah, that's kind of the nice part. <laughs> no stress. Because, like, when I play with some of my other friends, it's like, oh, we got to record everything. It's like, oh, I don't want to. Oh, God, I wish one time you and I had played something where we looked at each other like, we got to record this. One time, that would be nice. Next time. We'll do it. Next time. There's always next time. There's always next time. But yeah, okay. this whole uh, this Ash scene, alien. yeah. A- Ash this is conversation dead now. is great where like yeah. Ripley is like you admire it and Ash is like I admire its purity. It's like the perfect Which organism. Which is so ch- such a direct like forefather to Fastbender's character. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, there's the line where Ash is like I don't know your chances but uh you have my sympathies and that's like probably the scariest line in the movie to me that's a good line yeah and then he smiles and then it cuts to that deformed latex face that gets burnt Um, up so as we get into the last 10 minutes or so here of the movie we got lambert and parker they need to go get coolant for the shuttle, apparently. And then Ripley's in the shuttle prepping it. And this is where she leaves to literally go save the cat. Yeah, Jonesy does and, not uh, care. Yeah. Jonesy doesn't care. I have that and, in my uh, notes. Lambert and Parker. Oh, this double kill. They're, yeah. They're but they're making they're making so much noise. I played the <laughs> alien isolation game, and so I know like you should never even sprint. You should Shot. always walk slowly Shot. and be quiet. But they're throwing tanks around like clang, 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 clang. Sean. With the trolley. Like they never played the in game. Alien Isolation, who do you play as? Ripley Jr. Who survives in this movie? Ripley Sr. Exactly. But what if <laughs> I-, I want to make a Lambert Jr. with Lambert? <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on. I don't wow. like where this is going. That's, okay. That's that, the raciest that you've happen. gotten, Sean. <laughs> it didn't happen. We're moving on. Uh, uh, yeah, so this is where the, the alien double kill happens. So what do you yeah. think here as the alien approaches Lambert and Parker, Josh? It's uh, the Lambert kill, especially, like you were saying earlier. All of the creature design, it's it's wee-wees and hoo-hahs, right? It's all penises and vaginas. Everything. And so that, uh, it feels more invasive than somebody getting eviscerated. That tail coming up between her legs like that. Uh, It's upsetting and I don't like it. Uh, I mean, I I love it. But then hearing it after... I like it seems like the alien is double mouth chomping everyone to kill them. Yeah. And I hope that's what happened. Yeah. Uh, I hope we didn't go like evil dead here. What about uh, uh, 
Veronica Cartwright being in that spotlight. Because you know when that light is on you, you can't see anything, right? Yeah, you're, she's going to be blinded by it. So everything's going to be like dark, moving shapes kind of outside of it because her eyes can't adjust. Uh, just the the thought of that is that's it's terrifying. horrifying yeah. to me. Should Parker have burned her and the alien together? I think he would have survived if he tried. Maybe. I think he would have. Yeah. Based on the video game, when you use the flamethrower, the alien usually leaves you alone for a good 45 seconds after that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they're both dead. Ripley goes and finds Jonesy. We get that one last scare, jump yeah. scare from Jonesy, and then she puts him in the... The whole escape the, sequence is great, too. Like, the lighting when she's running through. Oh, so dude. great. So, first, before, when she sets up the self-destruct sequence, she pulls those four rods out, yeah. and the sound design of those, they make the most satisfying, like, shh, thunk, <laughs> yeah. shh, thunk. Oh, it's so good. It's so satisfying, and... It's all nonsense. Like, all of these buttons and switches and everything are complete nonsense. But, man, I I love, like, the design. Yeah. And for this being 1979, so many times when we watch sci-fi stuff from the 70s, it's just, like, stupid bullshit lights flickering on and off with no feel, no, yeah. no seemingly yeah. purpose. In this, everything feels like it has a purpose, and it's just, ah, I love it. Yeah, it's like what I Josh think said. I, I really feel like the set design is the best part of this movie. Just the, the production design alone, like, forget the actors and the script and the, the score. Just setting any movie in this environment, you're off to such a good start. And, like, yeah... I know it got the Oscar for like special effects or whatever, but in the end, it's not a super heavy special effects movie like Star Wars and all these other things, right? It's really like how people are reacting and how people are interacting with their environment. And like for that to work, that environment needs to feel real. And like what Josh said about like all the screens, like actually displaying stuff and like, all adds to that. It's definitely like a lived in place. I like that the screens also are not dumbed down for the audience. Oh, yeah. Where most of the information portrayed on these screens is unintelligible to us. Definitely. Yeah, yeah it's, it's techno babble. It's great. Uh, but yeah, as you said, once the self destruct sequence starts, the lighting is incredible and it goes from like red flashing lights to these yellow flashing lights or there's this shot where she's descending a ladder yeah. and you see the yellow lights above her and there's just this variety and this intensity and there's one shot in particular with the like the strobing lights and the red strobe and the white strobe on her and she's sweaty and it, it she just looks so fucking cool yeah yeah man yeah that whole sequence like i've seen it a lot of times but it's still super exciting i don't know why so, countdowns are exciting in, 
Now, remind me, because when Ripley finds Dallas and Brett on the walls, in Aliens, aren't there colonists on the walls? Yeah. But what you said you don't like, you said they were becoming eggs in this one. I was confused kind of like why they had been face huggered, but then they had just been like glued to a wall as the face hugger gestates, basically. Right. So in this one, why the director's cut kind of doesn't make sense to me is like Dallas and uh, Dallas and Brett turning into eggs rather than like the eggs being laid, you know? So I didn't get that feeling that they were turning into eggs. Is that what was being implied with how gooey and slimy their faces were that's what i kind of get from it but i mean i could i could have been reading it wrong i don't know because it feels like once you've been face huggered you don't need to be glued to a wall in order to gestate and produce an alien so like in some of the other movies and especially in the comics like aliens will take hosts and glue them up to be or they'll take people and glue them up to be future hosts right um but like in this movie there's no other face hugger there's no other egg you know and this one alien shouldn't be able to lay anything so where wait where were Oh, because this, there were no eggs where they were because they were back on the shuttle. Right. So when they were up on the wall, there were no face huggers to right. impregnate them. Exactly. Right. I, okay, I, I'm, I'm totally with you now. Yeah. And I, I, I understand. So yeah, it's like, what would a drone be? Hap- a drone bee couldn't do anything except either kill something or- exactly. Or take it back. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm totally with you now. So maybe I, I understand. Maybe it would be taking it back and there's just no way to get back, but it's already killed them. Right. So. Right. Um, I mean, Ridley Scott has said that he thinks the theatrical one is better. And I didn't think the flamethrowing of Scarrett and Stanton was particularly impressive because you could tell that they never actually lit the set on fire yeah lit those prosthetics on fire true very true um so uh oh this is after this ripley runs back after she sees them tries to cancel the self-destruction misses it by a second first instance of ripley calling something a bitch when she calls (laughs) mother a bitch (laughs) and then destroys the monitor yeah. And uh gets back on the shuttle. I think it's pretty great that, that we get two instances of a countdown, so it's like doubling down on the stress of first the countdown to cancel the self-destruct and then second is the self-destruct itself. Right. So we get two times as an audience of like that 30-second countdown where the tension is just naturally increased. Yeah, so for like a good 6-7 minutes, it's just building and building and building. Because even once she gets to the shuttle, right, she needs to clear the Nostromo. 
or she'll get caught mm-hmm. in the blast. So like it's still building while she's on the shuttle. So um yeah, what do you guys have here at the end as she escapes onto the shuttle and is about to get all set with Jonesy in a sleep pod and then we get the the big reveal. So what, I what love I love the hiding in plain sight where like you can see its head super clearly in hindsight but the first time you watch it like it just looks like the wall and i love how they did that it just blends in and then it moves and you're like oh and if you haven't seen alien 2 or not alien 2 aliens where this whole whole thing happens again i don't know how but uh yeah you're not expecting it at all right no and Josh, to me, it looked like that guy just wanted to hunker down and take a nap for a while. Oh, well, yeah. As my my counter argument is, as the audience, once she's on that ship and the movie isn't over, you know something, another complication has to happen. So there's something that you're like, you're tipped off before she is to something is going to go wrong. So there's something else happening. So, yeah, you know, there's still true. still danger that she has to, you know, because the movie is almost over, but there's not enough time to like for her to go back to civilization or anything. Right, right. Yeah. So uh, I think it turns into like there's so much tension that is left there as the audience member, even after the countdown and the explosion happened. Yeah, that's true. And, and then, um, you know, good to talk that uh, at this point, you know, we talked earlier about the sexual themes of this movie. Ripley's full on like 80s slasher victim, but this is the 70s. Yeah. But, you know, white, white, tiny white undies, little white undershirt. Yep. Very reminiscent of uh, a teenage girl slasher victim. Totally. Yeah, uh, that whole scene once once she realizes the alien is there and she runs and hides and the alien is not moving. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever like seen a giant spider in your room and like scared it and it kind of runs away and it's like sitting somewhere and like you know it's there and it knows you're there and you're just kind of staring at each other. That's what this always feels like. <laughs> it uh, almost to me feels like they might have found a way to broker a peace deal where it's like, yeah. we we can live together <laughs> on this little shuttle as we both try to survive and down the line, we'll fight to the death and deal with it. Like yeah. the, the alien seemed very content even after it saw her to just hang out, not yeah. to get out of that little cubby hall. And the fact that she had to then blast it with coolant spray Mm -hmm. or whatever she blasts it with to get it out. And for a second, I thought she was singing Madonna's Lucky Star until I realized that song does not exist yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're my lucky star. Uh. Which makes me think of Vinnie Jones and Snatch. Oh, this is my favorite track. (laughs) You must be my lucky star. (laughs) And he's dragging a guy down the street. Oh. When are we gonna talk about Snatch? Snatch is a great movie. She Snatch like, she like Dags. Can we can we can Snatch we make Snatch in the, the Abyss, abyss happen? 
Um, and then, you know, this movie, as you said, we get a false ending before. We kind of get a false ending again here as you would think just launching out it out to space would be enough. But Ripley knows that's not enough. And so she has this harpoon gun yeah. ready to then get the final hit. Oh, no, but even it's then, still that's not, not the final, final yeah, shot. Yeah, yeah. It's tethered, <laughs> and now we have to fucking blast the thing with the thrust of the engine to burn it and send it off into deep space. It's like, it's, it's overkill at this point. But is it? I mean... No. Yeah. No. Yeah, that whole sequence... It still holds up to it, me. It looks, it looks excellent. There's... Yeah. There's one or two shots here or there where there's one shot as they're approaching the planet early on in the movie and it's a shot outside the cockpit and it looks very I don't they weren't even using green screen no, at it's... this time. I don't know what effect rotoscope maybe. I don't know what they were using so at the time. So they uh it was a miniature and they were shooting at like 2 frames per second or something to get that sense of scale. Uh-huh. But uh I mean, there's moments where you feel the artifice, but then there's so many moments, like when the alien's getting burned in the engine thrust. It's like, this this looks great. Yeah. <laughs> I, and- I think, for whatever reason, it's like the inorganic, metallic nature of space travel mm-hmm. made it really easy for filmmakers, and then once we got into CGI, to do those special effects. Because it's easy to replicate, I think, metal versus organic right. living life forms. Right. And that's right. that's been the trick now. With and that's basically like when we talk about Cameron, that's what he's doing basically with avatars is how do I make CGI alive? Yeah, I mean the the water simulations in Avatar are just like kind of makes everything else look terrible. But it's also encased in like a mediocre movie which yeah. then it makes it feel like i'm watching a tech demo it the no, avatar no, no, movies are really true. weird man really weird i was talking they, about they this. do they they do feel like a tech demo i feel like that's the best way i could did you happen to see the latest one i saw it in the theater and a guy literally snored 90 percent of the movie's runtime yeah so, like, I know it made a whole bunch of money, but, like, you're, like, the second person who I know who's actually seen it in theaters. If oh. I wasn't going to see it in the theater, when else am I going to watch that fucking thing? <laughs> I saw it. Oh, I you saw, saw it, it too? I saw, I, saw, I saw it in 2D also, by the way, because my eyes Yeah, 3D doesn't work on the 3D you. effect. Yeah. I still don't know. Josh, like, you, see th- you saw 3D, Josh. I did 3D and 2D with uh, the guys, so I saw it twice. Was the, Ooh, was the 3D that worth two it? Times. That's that's impressive. Yeah, the 3D was really, and we had the like the high frame rate 3D. Oh, yeah. I saw the Hobbit was, in high frame rate, and it threw me off like quite a bit. This was much smoother. Okay, like not as jarring to me as the Hobbit was. Yeah, that was weird. Like for some reason, it just felt like a home video or something. Mm-hmm. I remember I saw the first one in 3D and it was really amazing like the first 20 minutes and then my brain kind of just phases everything out and I'm just watching. 
But yeah, Sean, you guys got I don't... anything else for Alien? Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say I don't know how like you drive with how your eyes work. They work. They just don't <laughs> like. I have, I have depth perception. I have three dimensional sight. Although I did mention the other day that because I think eye patches are so cool. I would maybe be willing to become blinded in my left eye, seeing as I feel like I use my right eye for 80% of my view. Like, my my life is seen through my right eye. The left eye just adds in details. Is that how it is for you guys? Like, you live through your dominant eye, and then the other eye is just kind of... We're both doing, like, the exact same thing now, aren't we? You don't know which eye dominant you are? I am right eye dominant, but also I am blind without my glasses. So, well, I I don't know, but anyways, no, my uh, my eyes work; they just don't work. It's the easiest ah. way I can put it. <laughs> okay, yeah. My only problem in Alien with this last sequence is with all this buildup. I know it's the 70s and everything, but that the explosion doesn't hold up to me. Okay, was this that your other point that wasn't that didn't quite work today? You mentioned you had two earlier that were not quite uh, up to par. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the explosion, like the lighting on Ripley's face, like the white light and everything looks amazing, but the actual like explosion in the distance and how it goes off like two or three times or however mm-hmm. it works. Um, it wasn't a letdown. It's just like, maybe it's one of the few places where the movie shows its age a little bit. I like the design of her big space suit at the end too. Oh yeah. All the shots of her in the helmet, like looking back is just, Basically alien isolation, right? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's like those iconic shots. And I like thinking about being in a spacesuit and not having full peripheral vision and being in that situation too. Like Well that I, I feel like that's how the alien kind of sneaks up on her at the very end. Yeah, yeah. So to wrap this one up. Um, I love this movie classic for a reason it, it holds up incredibly well and it's a five for me. Uh, Josh, what you got? I love, love, love this movie. Um, does it make you cry though? Josh has a weird thing as on where he only gives five stars to movies that make him cry. No, oh, man, I would be to... giving some embarrassing five stars if that was the case. Well, no, but it's not It's not all movies that make him cry. Correct. But movie okay. must make him cry. It doesn't have to make me cry. It has to give me a, a, an emotion. I have to feel something from it. An emotion. Yes. So there are a lot of movies that I appreciate cerebrally that might oh, I get see a four, what you mean. four and a half. Yeah. Um, or even a three. But if it makes me feel something, it gets an extra half. Right? Like... If if I feel genuinely afraid, if I cry, if I feel a sense of catharsis, like that's what that it gets an extra half point for that. Uh, And Alien 
still makes me feel chilly along my spine. Like when you're watching those scenes, uh, when you watch Brett in there and you know what's going to happen and oh, you feel yeah. dread. <laughs> like, and it has worked over and over again. And I think that's why I give it five stars because it still works on me. Is that much you got? I mean, easy five. When I when you made me make a letterbox account, I think this was like <laughs> the first movie I added. Which, by the way, you are not. I have not updated. You're terrible this, at. I, you're this so frustrated. I haven't updated. I need also. To well, back. you're frustrating, but Josh is also frustrating because you know what Josh told me at the beginning of this year. What my vow. Is to <laughs> review every new movie, movie that I watched this year. Every movie that I watched for the first time, I will write a review for this year. He gave up on that like three weeks in. Oh, I didn't even try to promise you anything. But, uh... No, you, you've learned. You See, if you don't promise me anything, I won't be disappointed in you. I'm, I'm a little disappointed in myself. but Because uh... when I got into it first, like I was into it, all right? And then I was like, okay, I should rewatch these movies before I start to actually review them. So then I started only reviewing movies or only starring movies that I had seen recently. Dude, the only way to do letterbox is to just say from this day forward, I'm going to log what I'm watching. Don't don't worry about your past. Don't worry about things that you have watched. Just it it'll start to build up. Your account will start to you know you know see. what it was i was all excited to see like you know how spotify does like your recap at the end of the year i was all excited mm-hmm. to see my recap on letterbox and i guess you have to pay for it and i never paid for it and i never got my recap and then i was like all right i'm done that's pretty much the only reason i pay for letterbox <laughs> is so i can have deep statistical analysis of my past year watching movies and i love it I, st- I love stats. I still love reading some of my friends' reviews on that site. It's like my friends are in two categories. Like some like you guys will have like lots of thought put into your reviews. And then the other side, like either all fives or all ones, and mm-hmm. just like completely off the wall reviews of like what they were eating this day, which made them in a bad mood so that like they hated the movie. I'm like, I hate this, but it's kind of hilarious. But <laughs> anyway, alien is a five well, star. You know, <laughs> at least they're, at least they're writing reviews and not just posting <laughs> random stars with random hearts attached. That's me. Ra- random hearts. Isn't random, that- random <laughs> stars with random hearts. That kind of reminds me of Sunshine, where we have a random star burning out, and then a bunch of random hearts going to reignite it? Transition? Transition? See you after the break? (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Love it. That's the vibe. Okay. We are back. Are you guys ready? Josh, would you like to bring us in for Sunshine? No. <laughs> you always do that, you know? What if what if you approach this show with a little positivity and a little pep in your step? I am positive I would not like to bring <laughs> bring us back in. 
Welcome back to the show against my will because my co-host refuses to co-host sometimes. We're going to be talking next about Sunshine, directed by Danny Boyle all the way back from 2007. And um, Azam, this was your pairing uh, that you paired against our choice of Alien. And I mean, I know we briefly talked about it, but why do you want to rewatch this movie? Um... You know, when I was thinking about Alien, I was basically thinking, what could I pair with or what pairs well with a slasher in space, right? And uh, that's basically what Sunshine boils down to. I know it has a lot of religious allegories and a whole bunch of themes that it tries to explore. But in the end, I mean, it boils down to a slasher in space. But also, there's a lot of design elements from, like, ship designs, interior designs, getting to know a crew that's all diverse in its own way that kind of goes hand-in-hand with Alien for me. Yeah. This movie, I'm curious to talk about the big problem many people have with this movie is that it turns into a slasher in space. Right. And in the past, I've been a defender of it. And rewatching it this time, it was interesting. I I have not seen this movie in probably 10 years or so. Yeah. So as we get down to it, I I feel like my feelings have changed about this movie as time has gone on. I feel like certain parts I am kinder and certain parts I am less forgiving of. But... Definitely, yeah. we can cross that bridge when we get to the final act of this movie. I I think right off the bat, the first thing I would like to talk about is John Murphy's score for Ooh. this movie. Yeah. It elevates everything. And it's genuinely incredible at times. And I've heard it used in other places and other promotions and trailers it adds so much weight to anything it's behind you know it's it's just amazing and i so the score props this movie up so so high yeah definitely and i know when you first recommended this movie to me you sold me on it based on the visuals and I think That's, some of the visuals still do hold up. Watching this this time, there's essentially two or three moments where I, I'm just like, yep, my God, this is fucking incredibly beautiful. Yeah. But they're not, there's not as many as I remember. Exactly. Yeah. So, and it, the ones that I was really impressed with weren't the ones that I remember being impressed with. And I don't know if it's because I watched it on a big screen 4k TV this time. And last time I didn't, but, uh, yeah. Last time I watched this movie was probably on like a 720. Yeah. Same here. I think last time was on a DVD that you gave me though. Yeah. I wish I could remember the first time I saw this. If it came out in 2007, 
I must have been living in Colorado at the time. Yeah. And uh, I just must have watched this one at home. I, I don't remember. Josh, do you remember anything about your first time watching this? Um, I remember I watched it in, it would have been a couple years later, I believe. Uh, uh, it was when it came out on DVD. Um, mm. But I know I watched it on a uh probably at that point even 25 year old television like yeah. an ancient ass tv uh and it was not the the highest fidelity at the time uh but it still it blew me away then like right i really liked this movie when i first saw it did it hold up on your rewatch yeah i still really like it yeah, yeah big fan. I think maybe because I'm older, but I got a lot more out of. I got less out of the spectacle of the movie and more out of. The dialogue and like what a lot of the things stood for. Mm-hmm. OK, good, because. I think I might have been a little lacking on that stuff on this viewing, and maybe when you mentioned like. Religious analogies none were really immediately popping into my head. I know Pinbacker talks about being the last man with God and those ideas, but let's, let's get into it. Cause I, I'm really curious what, what yeah. you guys saw watching this movie. This I time. mean, one thing that struck me, which didn't strike me last time I watched it was how stacked this cast is. Oh yeah. Right. Like you have, it's gotten, it's, it's gotten better with age. You have a uh, Killian Murphy playing Robert Oppenheimer. You have Chris Evans. Essentially. You have, yeah, exactly. Uh, Michelle Yeoh. Michelle you have, Yeoh. Man, you have like a uh, whole bunch of Marvel stars. Hiroki Sonata, who's in... Uh, He's Scorpion. But yeah, he was in like... Uh, yeah, well, he was at uh, the last, last, Samurai. last Samurai. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. Anytime I see him in anything... And... He tends to elevate the movie that he's in. He doesn't have to say a whole bunch... And like, I will follow him anywhere type thing. So he's perfectly cast as a captain in this. Oh, yeah. No, comparing captains yeah. between Tom Skerritt and him, I'm immediately just like, no, no, no. Uh, Kaneda is my captain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. And then Benedict Wong is amazing in this movie on multiple levels. Um, yeah. It's funny, I, I, I feel like I remembered almost every character except, like, the comms officer, who, I think his name is, maybe, no, it's not that guy. It's whoever becomes the second in command later on in the movie. He's, like, the only character oh, yeah, that yeah. I didn't, I had no memory of that guy being in the movie whatsoever. Everyone else, I kind of remembered the captain... I remembered the guy who is going into the sun, the solarium, the sun observation yeah. room all Cliff the time. Cliff Curtis's character. He was the great. Woman, Ro- Rose Byrne, who's like just the, the Cassie, the woman who's kind of around till the end. Yeah, who has some of my favorite lines in this movie, too. Um, yeah, there, there's there's cool characters here. And. I well, first off, like. How do you feel, Josh, about 
this movie starting with a Killian Murphy narration. Do you <laughs> feel that narration is cheating, as some people do? Absolutely not. I like narration when it's uh, interesting, and it it either needs to provide me some kind of context or work against what I'm seeing in the film. You know, when somebody is an unreliable narrator to themselves, and we're getting the objective reality through one and the subjective through the other. Uh, I think that's like a, ta- the that... a taxi driver. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Okay. And here, um, I think it's poetic and provides this context for the story. So this movie does it a few times. I think it also, I think the score is so good that it supports having a narration over the top of because the music is just that good. So later, basically at like the best part of the movie, we get, I think it's Cassie's voiceover saying, Every every time I, I sleep, I dream of the surface mm-hmm. of the sun. And and it's like it's a line that has no It's very there's a lot of like music video stuff in this movie. Which I I, I was kind of what challenged me this time is there's a lot of stuff done for style. And right. I don't think all of it works. And it a lot of it feels music video-ish, including these dialogue voiceover narrations, like before he jumps from ship to ship, and that voiceover says, every time I, I think about the surface of the sun. But it that works at that point. Yeah. But I do think it's just, I think it's just John Murphy's score is so good that I'm just like, fuck yeah. Well, that's fuck the thing. Yeah, like, like dreaming of the surface of the sun with that huge sweeping score playing behind it. Yeah, you get swept up in the emotions that that score is portraying. And I think any movie can get away with a lot if they have a good score supporting it. That's a, you know what? That's a fair point. Cause when I'm, when I'm digging a movie's score, it, it takes such a load off the movie itself because I'm like, well, even if my eyes aren't really enjoying what they're seeing, my ears are really, really <laughs> digging on this right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to set up the movie, the sun is slowly becoming extinguished. Earth has been in a winter for close to a decade. Seven years ago, humanity launched Icarus 1, a rocket to drop a bomb the size of man with the mass of Manhattan into the middle of the sun to reignite it. And that mission went awry <clears throat> and disappeared. And so, this movie follows Icarus 2, and I like the idea that they mention that in order to build Icarus 2, humanity mined, like, yeah. the last of its minerals. This is the last chance. We, yeah. we've, put, we've put everything we have into this last haymaker punch here before <laughs> we get knocked out. Yeah. Yeah, that feeling of desperation is prevalent throughout this entire movie even though we never see earth until the very end like we all know the stakes josh you want to give me a a character breakdown here as we go through 
each each I think they do a nice job of similar to Alien. Mm. We get very distinct characters here, mm-hmm. and it's not just a mishmash of a bunch of blah people. I I do think there's room here for each character, each yeah. actor to shine through. Uh, well, the most important breakdown is uh, Chris Evans, mm-hmm. uh, Mace is right about everything <laughs> like <laughs> over and over again in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of, he's kind of the one similar to Ripley of you're weighing a one med science officer's life versus the entire crew. And Chris Evans is similarly like you're weighing the lives of potentially seven or eight people versus the entire earth. Yeah, like all not, and it's also not only is it humanity, but it's the entire ecology of the earth. Yes, things will survive if the sun goes extinct, and there will be weird sub-earth creatures and rats, probably, and cockroaches still around. But life will die on the planet, not just humans, but life. And I think that's, uh, it's the, the trolley problem, but huge and nobody should be able to argue it. Like yeah. nobody should be on the other side of that. Uh, the most compelling thing arguments that they come up with is the, Hey, we'll have two payloads mm-hmm. if we go, go to the other ship. I was not sold on that plan of two payloads are better than one. Hey, I feel like two last chances are better than one last chance. Mm-hmm. But staying on course without bringing the mission into threat and just cruising straight on plan, I feel like, I don't know. I well, think that's a better move. Uh, Josh, it's funny you mentioned Chris Evans because the when I first saw him, my first note about him is uh, Murphy and Evans both have terrible haircuts in this movie. <laughs> well, but Chris only Evans Evan, cuts it, But right? only... Only, but only Evans gets called out for it. Where the psych officer or someone is like, "Jesus, dude, go, go, <laughs> cut your hair!" Like, it's that feeling. I I know that feeling of like when I get like a huge depression beard. Yeah, it's like yeah. I I know when I'm depressed because I'll, suddenly I'll look in the mirror and I can't see the outline of my chin. There's just beard. I'm like, oh okay, <laughs> <laughs> and then I I do like the full beard trim and okay, I feel a little more like myself right now. And, <laughs> No, Gillian Murphy has terrible hair in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, he's got emo hair. Also, his... I found his performance... Until the very... He's really, really reserved. And maybe that's because he's a physicist. And that's... He's just an analytical, mathematical person. But... I I don't know. I, I, I found him to be a bit playing the cards a little bit too close to the vest, basically until the end, when until he's, like, screaming with, like, spit bridges flying out of his mouth as he's tipped over in his spacesuit. Then I'm like, okay, now, now we're in it, Killian. Yeah, I mean, for a good portion of the movie, he doesn't have agency, right? I mean, you could say the same thing about Ripley, though, for a good half of Alien. Yeah, for sure. They're characters that 
do tend to fly under the radar a bit, especially as he's the payload guy. Yeah. He's not a guy that's going to help them make the journey. He's a final destination guy. And, and so until they get to that final destination, he's he's kind of useless. Yeah, and he just even keeps on then, running that same simulation. I, I, and yeah. all he can do is talk about like theoretical physics. Yeah. And even then, like the computer, when he tries to do that, the computer is like, no, we can't. We can't even try to make estimations about what's going to happen because they're they're too um, unpredictable. I guess uh, the big. Uh, sorry, keep going, Josh. I was just going to say when you called him Oppenheimer earlier, that is the best comparison. Like these two movies, <laughs> he's he's designed a bomb that he doesn't know if it will work. That the fate of humanity depends on. And we keep seeing repeated shots of explosions that are these golden-hued things superimposed on top of imagery of the cast. Like, Yeah, all the particles <laughs> at the beginning are like the yes. same as the particles at the beginning of Oppenheimer. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay, you said that, Azam, but I, I just didn't quite key in on it. But wow. Yeah. Killian Murphy has made two... Of like cinema's biggest bombs. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was trying. Oh damn, I couldn't think of a Killian Murphy that then bombed at the box office, so I could have thrown a third one in there. Hmm. He's not been in a lot of movies, though. I feel. I mean, all of his Nolan stuff has done well, though. Um, I love. Michelle Yeoh as Space Gardener. Oh, I She's love. Great. I love seeing and my her, love of her just using yeah. a scooter in space like, to oh, get yeah. around. Get around the ship. That's great. There's a pretty funny shot later on with Killian, like in an emergency rush, and he shows up in a room and ditches a scooter <laughs> outside the <laughs> yes. front. It's just that idea, of, like riding a razor scooter in an emergency, is <laughs> funny. Uh, but yeah, Michelle Yeoh's great. My love for her from Everything Everywhere oh, and man. Police Story 3, which we covered on this show. Police Story uh, 3 was way heavier than I thought it was going to be when I first saw that movie. Dude, it's it's a Michelle Yeoh movie disguised as a Jackie Chan movie. Right? Yeah. Great movie. Um, so, you know, we got... Mace and the coolant tank. He's the mechanic. He's the coolant guy. Uh, I really liked... I'm not sure which planet it was, but my I, I love space photography and cinematography. And so when they go to watch... I think it might be Mercury. I think it's Mercury passing. That's going oh, by in an yeah. eclipse. Man, that's a cool moment. Yeah. And in just the, the solar observation room in general... Mm-hmm. is really cool i don't like how um the psych officer uh cliff curtis's character Searle, i don't like how his sunburn is progressively getting grosser and grosser <laughs> as he becomes a, like addicted to the light and so you mentioned earlier you know religion in this yeah. movie and Searle seems to think that as Pinbacker does as well, seemingly to some degree, God is in the sunshine. Yeah. And do you have any reads on that? 
No, definitely. I mean, since the dawn of time, so many civilizations have deified the sun, right? As both what gives us life and what could potentially destroy us. And even in this movie, like, they're trying to restart the sun to save the planet. But up until the last three-fourths of the movie, the biggest protagonist is the sun, right? So it's the same thing. And you mentioned the... Antagonist? Antagonist, yeah. I mean... I think you said pro. Did I say pro? Sorry, I meant antagonist. Yeah. Um, but the sun is also the protagonist because it's the thing we're trying to save exactly. as it's trying to kill them. Exactly. The sun is the yeah. MacGuffin. <laughs> the sun is the MacGuffin. Exactly. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but and I then mean, don't sell it because no one wants that. <laughs> uh, you mentioned uh, Pinback having like similar religious proclivities and i think that's like any religion where you have one where further down the line cyril sacrifices himself for the mission and is a very selfless religious person whereas pinbacker is basically condemned the human race right Mm -hmm. so two sides of that religious coin Interesting. I, I we're jumping ahead with Pinbacker, oh, but just, let's just talk about yeah, yeah. Uh, the whole philosophy of it. Pinbacker talks about his philosophy is when there's one single person left in the entire human race, that person will convene with God. Essentially. And Josh, I just wonder what cinematically does that make you think of things? Um, just what is what is what is that idea of like the absolute end of humanity? Except there will, and it's it's like mathematical fact that at some point this prophecy will come true. Mm-hmm. At some point, there will be one final human being alive before who knows what happens whether it's like the heat death of the universe or the maybe just the death of our own planet seemingly as we're at our own speed to do so but i don't know just what what does that bring up to you his his philosophy and like his idea of seeing and talking to god and asking killian murphy if he's an angel when he shows up so it's uh not so much the like the last man, but if you are far enough separated from the rest of humanity that you might as well be alone. Like that thread uh caught on because you think of two thousand one. Yeah. That's that's kind of what he goes through. Um and And you think of that Carl Pilkington clip that I played for you. <laughs> I don't remember what episode that was. Yeah. About the, the loneliest the man loneliest ever man. in the world. Yeah. When Phil Oh, oh God, I almost said Phil Collins. Michael Collins, the astronaut. <laughs> Phil Collins. <laughs> Michael Collins, the astronaut, left Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong on the moon mm-hmm. and then went around. And he was, the, by definition, the most remote man. And Carl Pilkington used the word lonely. 
But like so many things of Carl's that you've exposed me to, he's <laughs> right. Like there's 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 a profundity in his simplistic nature, right? That's the whole charm. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Uh, and if you were removed from everyone for that long, um, the other thing that, that came to mind for me a lot with the visuals and the themes of this was the fountain. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Okay. Like he's on okay. a journey to discover the self and uh, his relationship with one other person, but it could be the same kind of journey to discover God. And because they're both seeking an enlightenment of sorts. So those were the, the comparisons that came up for me. I think there's also just the thought of the role of human agency in the universe. And mm-hmm. if the sun is going to go extinct, is that God's will? And who are we to tamper with that versus should we do something to try and save the human race? And I mean, there's a saying, it's an Arabic saying, which is, trust in God, but tie your camel, right? So mm. it's like, trust in God, but you still need to do what you have to do to survive type thing. Um, and I think Pinbacker and the crew of the Icarus 2 are kind of on two separate sides of that coin, where one is saying, this is God's will for the human race to go extinct and for us to all meet God. And the other side is trying to save humanity. Yeah. Sean, you're looking, you you are looking profound. You did a stare into the distance there. Like you might be preparing to meet a God of your own. (laughs) No, it's my thought is thinking about the expanse and space is that the death of our sun is inevitable and millions of years into the future, probably something like that. And I know it's, it's human hubris to think we'll be around that long when we've fucked things up severely. I mean, in, in less than a, I'm I'm not even going to count until like, I don't know the, 1600s when did we start to really fuck up the planet 15 1600s is maybe when we kind of started so in the span of less than 500 years we've wreaked complete havoc on our planet so how could yeah, i think probably that we'll when we started outlive the sun when we started like we're mining not, we're not gonna the, outlive yeah. the sun. yeah but we're not there's no way we're outliving the sun and then it's like, well, then it's an interstellar race where do we, are we going to be able to outpace our survivability rate on this planet versus our ability to travel in space and colonize new planets? And at the rate we're going, no, we're not going to make it. Well, I mean, the utopia in Sunshine where the entire planet agrees that something has to be done to save the planet does mm-hmm. not exist. Right. We can't but even get close I don't to know, that. Maybe just like maybe in the face of absolute certain 
100% Annihilation, maybe we this could is, get consensus. This is on an extremely planet. optimistic view of humanity that I did not think <laughs> Sean Perry would have in my <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. And I'm trying, man. I'm trying to be positive. I'm trying to be more positive and upbeat. I was, I was so bitter for so long. Listen to so much death metal. Listen to more rusted root, man. Relax. Oh my way. Cindereth on its way. On its way. Uh, what what do we got next? Oh, our next bait. Um. Spot in this movie is essentially Trey altering the course um, to make a maneuver node, but he doesn't think to change the shield positioning. Right. And this is this is essentially the catalyst for everything. This movie, everything going awry. Essentially, like yeah. this fucks the entire mission from the get go. Um. But and potentially the human. I, race. I like it. I like, I like it, and the fact that in these situations, when people are so stressed, and he's been out there for years at this point on this ship, it's easy to make a small mistake. Yeah, where you 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 figured out all the complex mathematical equations and maneuver nodes, but you spent so much time figuring those things out that you forget oh yeah i need to adjust the shields too yeah and then you're fine it's like it's you know baking you 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 put so much work into making this dough and fermenting it and everything and getting the product right and you forget to drop the oven temperature down after preheating yeah and so suddenly suddenly you're baking it at too hot of a temperature and it's burning on the outside you're like fuck me i did so much work and prep and mathematics and thinking so i think trey's mistake is very human and i uh, and uh and how he acts that what, is perfect how he acts what's what's his name benedict, benedict Wong. Wong. yeah i i feel so bad for him after this oh i mean he just spirals in this movie and i think an extremely accurate portrayal of maybe what any one of us would be going through in his situation benedict wong of prometheus fame yes and of dr strange fame well that doesn't quite tie into our show (laughs) (laughs) hey i don't know well i don't know you're kind of strange wow and and you're a doctor so you've got that going for (laughs) um yeah that whole spacewalk that they go on, I had forgotten how much I like these golden shielded spacesuits. And they're like, great. Seeing them like against the white of the interior of the ship and then against the black of space, they're so striking. Like, the design is amazing. They look really cool, they're iconic looking. They're different from anything else. They also look so fucking cumbersome. Well, and which, hard to maneuver mm-hmm. in and hard, and it comes into play. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Like, and I think they so, add yeah, the, they add like spaces 
infinite, but it adds this extreme claustrophobia even outside of the ship. Because, like, they're seeing through, like, this tiny slit, right? Yeah, it's I like a like a welder's mask kind of thing, like very right, industrial exactly. looking. So um, because the shield doesn't get altered, Kaneda and Kappa have to go out on an EVA and do shield repairs. And boy, oh boy, this scene here. I wasn't quite sure how that O2 fire started in the in the farm. It looked like a piece of shrapnel or somehow the sunlight yeah, glinted it was, and mm-hmm. it was a piece of the antenna that caught that got hit cuz when they had to correct the course to give they sacrificed their comm towers. Exactly, cuz they had to give yeah. the captain shielding. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. So the comm tower hit the the O2 farm. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Total sense. And I mean that plays this into scene, though, that plays into Harvey's like uselessness as a character later on, where he's the comm officer on a ship with no comms. Yeah. So. <laughs> this scene with Kappa and Kaneda out there, and Kaneda sends Kappa back, and the, like the score becomes so epic. Yeah. And then we get Searle asking over the comms, what do you see? And it, it's that tidal wave of flames approaching him. This is one of the moments in this movie where I'm like, this looks incredible. This is one of the most beautiful shots I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. And it was Kaneda in front yeah. of that wall of fire on With like the riding score shield. swelling up and oh man. oh my god <laughs> yeah. it, it's it's a moment that gave me goosebumps i felt like emotional build up and it was just stunning and it's a character that like we said he doesn't have a ton of lines but it's a character who man, for whatever reason i really respect that character yeah, yeah. and that's my leader and i don't want to lose him yeah that i mean this is close to the beginning of the movie. But like, I remember watching this the first time and like instantly, yeah, this guy's my favorite character. And then I'm like, oh no, this is too soon. Not like this. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I have in my notes, um, the sound design of, uh, of when the ship is rotating in surround sound, it was great. At least like we watched it downstairs and, uh, fully made use of the sound system for that scene. What'd what'd your dad think of sunshine? Um, he really likes the first three fourths of the movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly valid, and your dad's <laughs> not really, he's not really a horror guy. No. But he loves his action he and loves sci-fi yeah. and spectacle, so I, yeah, it makes total sense. I also feel like this movie, I think people are especially bummed with it, because a lot of people really vibe with that first two-thirds, totally. three-quarters, and then feel like the rug gets pulled out from under them like, versus a movie that they've been lukewarm on to begin with. I feel like a lot of people, I know we're getting into like 
end game discussion ter- ter- territory, but like, I think a lot of people felt there was already enough adversity that they were going through for mm-hmm. them to also have to deal with pinbacker. But I previously have been a defender of pinbacker this time around. I want this movie to be more like Solaris. Yeah, I was. I want this about movie, movie to be more conversation, mm-hmm. more conversation about just just what it means to have stripped the Earth of its minerals in order to create this bomb, and just the implications alone of what they're doing and like that conversation that Chris Evans has of the calculation of their lives versus humanity. Yeah. And it's not a calculation. And this movie does such a good job in the first three quarters without it, that I don't think it needs it. Yeah. I don't think it needs pinbacker at the end because like you said things are precarious enough and the tension is already there with we have Searle sacrificing himself because they get separated that's another Michelle amazing Yeo sequence yeah is broken because of her garden burning down which i would i, I, I would I did, honestly I did feel this time there's enough there's enough there this time for me to not need the tone shift. I would watch a movie that is just Michelle Yeoh trying to keep this oxygen garden running. You know, it's called The Martian. Yeah, Michelle Yeoh's not in The Martian. <laughs> 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 no, but um, yeah, I think um, I know. Again, this is Endgame territory talking about it, but if some of the creative choices were made differently. I think a lot of people would have found the last bit of the movie more palatable. Like, I think we'll get to that when yeah, we get, exactly. We're not quite there yet. Exactly. So they, at this next point, I have them docking with Icarus one. Okay. And Josh, what'd you just think of them boarding the ship and the dustiness? It's so dusty. I was trying I mean, I can't do any calculations on this, but they're like, oh, it's human debris. It's, you know, you shed all this skin. And I was like, it, even if all pe- seven people or whatever it was supposed to be running around on that ship for seven years, that's not going to be that much dust. That's a supernatural amount of dust. No. And even as we learn that it's people who have been vaporized in the solar observation room. I still don't think it's that much dust. No, and it's this all it's all like over the place. An incredible amount of dust in yeah. this place. There is a there's a line that I wrote down when they're boarding the Icarus One. I forgot to write down who said it, but someone says we should split up, and then someone else says not a good idea. We'll get picked off one at a time by aliens, and I was like. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the uh, the alien connections, though. There's a another almost drinking bird kind of a thing in this. Oh, um, 
there's an uh, a laser. It doesn't do the same thing, but there's like a laser thing. I think Chris Evans uh, is playing with it at one point or looking into it. Um, there's the space glitter like coming out of the engines. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I was like, oh, they they know what they're doing. The Mary, mysterious transmission to begin with the the help beacon. I'm like, I'm, uh, Alex Garland knew what he was doing when he. There's also together. crew meal time at the beginning, just like an yes. alien. Yeah. So they find that message from Pinbacker. And it's his message that's very on the nose with how dusty the ship is. We we are stardust. We will return right. to stardust. And he he sent that communication six and a half years ago. So this guy <laughs> this guy who was the captain didn't make it six months into this trip before he <laughs> fucking lost his mind and sacrificed his entire crew. Who, what psychologist and psychiatrist board certified this man to be the leader of this vessel? Like, I feel like number one question would be like, so do you have any like a s- extremist religious views? And he'd be like, oh yes, I believe that one day there will be one man alone who will commune with God. <laughs> like next, but I mean, is it? So I I found a lot of obviously obvious parallels between like what Cyril and Pinbacker see when looking at the sun and like Defoe's character in Lighthouse, right? just like being captivated by this light. And I don't know how and much not wanting to share it and not wanting to share it. I don't know. That's how... a great call. Dude, that's a lighthouse is a great pull. Yeah. I don't know how exposed pinbacker was to like watching the sun. I mean, he was, he was, he was but... pretty nude. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, we see Cyril already, at this point, like being pretty obsessed, Cyril and and Cyril's slowly sunburning himself, becoming basically like what Pinbacker would eventually become. Um, I do wonder about Pinbacker still like waddling over his sunburned ass to the galley to prep a little meal for himself, and then go take a nap. And he seems to be a monster, but he's been living for six years in this state. And so that he must still be doing day-to-day tasks, going to the bathroom. We know the oxygen garden is fully functional there. I guess like everything's working. So he's just hanging out. I don't know, like just hanging out, waiting for the world to end or. Yeah. I mean, even if it ended, what is like, it's not going to affect him. Yeah. He'll be the last man. He won't even know it. Yeah. So, um, the coolant system on Icarus 1 was sabotaged because that's Pinbacker's thing. He loves to sabotage the coolant systems for the computers. So they all have to leave, and this is where we get... uh, Kappa is going to jump with the the comms engineer and Mace. Oh, then they're wrapped up in the insulation. Searle, Searle leaves himself behind, and... Definitely one of the cooler parts of the movie with this space jump. 
Yeah. What'd you guys think of this this EVA job? Did it remind you at all, Azam, of another movie of our our friendship, um, Event Horizon? Yeah. So you know, I was I almost picked Event Horizon for this pairing. Um, I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> I don't think Event Horizon really holds up for me. It not, oh. not like this does. So I think does it for you, Josh? Wait, 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 Josh. Event Horizon. What was that? Oh. Oh, I've uh, I watched it three times last year, I think. Oh, it was okay. So it holds up for you. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. Okay. So okay. The every time I spend a little bit of time away from that movie, there's a couple movies that do this to me, and like the concept of Event Horizon is so cool that I have to rewatch it, and. Mm-hmm. It is by no means a bad movie. I still enjoy it every time, but I always, each time I watch it, I wish for a little bit more. Um, and I know a lot of the love for that movie comes from the sound design and some of the imagery and the connections with music. Cause there was that Zao album, which had like yeah. a whole bunch of samples from it. Right. But I don't know why I didn't choose it. I think I just wanted to see Sunshine again. And when I saw it again, kind of confirmed, you know, I think I could talk a lot about Event Horizon, but not in the same way as how it connects to Alien, just because it's so on the nose, like everything in Event Horizon is on the nose. You got to help me, man. What's what's the quote? It, I can I can't think of the start. The woman goes, what does? And then he goes, the dark inside me from the, from other, the other place. place. It shows me I things. Won't go back. <laughs> I, shall be, I won't go back there. I won't. Yeah. Yeah. Liberate. Oh. Inferis. Zao. Yeah. Zao is like this like Christian screamo band from the early 2000s that kind of was right around the foundation of Azam in my friendship. I remember Azam showing up to school and before iPods existed he had like a 128 maybe yeah. a 256 megabyte little stick mp3 player and it was like the first mp3 player i had ever seen and i was like whoa this guy's pretty cool that thing costs <laughs> that thing costs so much money like unbelievable you, you had your 24 songs on there <laughs> I expected oh you God. to look to the side and actually pick it up and be like, I still have it after all these I years. actually do. It's in the other room. I, uh, that's I amazing. Kept every, every MP3 player I've owned, I've kept because they have been by my side for life, you know? Yeah. So I very much imprinted on those physical objects. Um, so, um, as the space jump happens, Kappa and Mace make it to the airport or the airlock. Poor old Harvey bounces off oh, of something man. and floats off with a bad trajectory. What do you think, guys, of his death as we see him trying not to breathe? And then he opens his eyes and finally inhales and it basically seemingly melts his lungs 
somehow. I, I I don't really quite know. I I it's like the difference in pressure between your body and space is supposed to make your blood boil, something like that. I mean, Harvey wasn't the most liked character already, but I still felt bad for him. You know. In the expanse, they often talk about. I can't. There's a phrase for it. I can't think of what they call it, but basically, people get airlocked, where as as a form of execution, sp- spaceships will just dump people out right. of airlocks. Ooh, yeah, it's gnarly, man. It's like walking. Dude, the those plank, books right? are so good. You got you got to check those books out. They're so good. It's exactly like walking the plane. Uh, yeah, and then but Harvey, we see then. Was it a little bit much when we see Harvey's arm has turned into ice and he bounces off some scaffolding and his arm like shatters into like I. Frozen meat doesn't shatter, you know, it, it's still. It's uh, like uh, Jason X you liquid would, nitrogen would... stuff. It... <laughs> Jason X would disagree. Yes, but we're not like. That's like Terminator 2 rules, where it's like we're made out of liquid metal. <laughs> yeah, I... Is, th- there a, is there a Twisted Metal movie coming out? There's a Twisted Metal TV series TV coming show. out on Peacock, like, today. Wait, it's releasing soon? Because I've, I've read a, of it. Either today or soon, yeah. It has... What's his name in it? Um, on Peacock? Yeah. Yeah. It can't be good then, right? Um, I don't know. Was uh, I don't know how they would make it not like super offensive. Yeah. <laughs> I I feel like Twisted Metal is a movie you need to give Neville Dean Taylor so that way they can make it the exploitation exactly offensive trash that it, it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. They, if they try and put any heart and soul into Twisted Metal, it'll oh, it'll ruin God. it. Oh, God. Azam, don't make me sick. <laughs> don't make me sick. Oh, my God. Me and, if, uh, Mr. Grimm, if Mr. Grimm has a relationship with a woman, I'm going to freak out. <laughs> it Me is and, uh, now streaming, the full season now streaming, starring oh. Anthony Mackie, Stephanie Beatriz, and Thomas Hayden Church. It did come out today, though. THC? Yeah. Interesting. Ooh, I bet I bet THC is Axel. I could imagine Thomas Hayden Church in between two giant wheels. No, uh, I mean you're, you're... I just I don't know. I have a feeling they're going to cut a bunch of the cast because it's going to be a TV show that won't want to offend everyone. And having someone with his arms cut off, stuck in a wheel, probably won't go too well. You guys are way more up on your Twisted Metal lore than I am. I've only played so the game So my roommate times. Ken and I used to play Twisted Metal Black until we basically fell asleep. John, <laughs> you know Ken. Yeah, but I don't know Twisted Metal Black very well because I just felt the controls felt different. I was a Twisted Metal 2 kid. Huge. Oh. Twisted Metal 1, I played a bit, but TM2, ooh, baby, that was where it was at and i would play as warthog 
Ah. And Warthog was the pink cat. No, 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 excuse me. Oh, my gosh. I am so embarrassed. Edit, cut, cut, cut that out. <laughs> I played as Thumper, the pink Cadillac. Yeah. Excuse me. And so Thumper was a pink Cadillac, and its special was a flamethrower off the front. But what you could do is with the left, right, up on the D-pad, you could shoot an ice ball to freeze someone. And then if you got the, the machine gun upgrade for your R2... You could go up to someone, freeze ball them, start going full on with the upgraded machine gun, and then flamethrow them all at point blank range as they're frozen. Oh my god, the damage. <laughs> I was always Dark Side, the big semi. Which, wait, which one was Dark Side? Oh, the, that was the, the, the other game, huh? That was black. It's in black, yeah. I was Darkseid, and was it Darkseid, or? Was that PS3? PS2, yeah. That was PS2, okay. PS2. And then Ken was always Mr. Grimm, the motorcycle is... guy. Oh, bless his soul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, there, is there any way we can play Twisted Metal today? Hope so. I, I don't know. Add it, we haven't played video games in a while together. Is it? Let's play, some, let's play some fucking twisted metal, man. Yeah, dude, I'm down. Listen to uh, fucking Rob Zombie. <laughs> Burn up on the Warner's Highway. Burn up of a super beast. Oh my god, I remember that from the soundtrack. Uh, what movie were we talking about? Seven Psychopaths. Yes, perfect. What? How did we get to twisted metal? It's a long road, man. It's a long road. The airlock was decoupled manually. Something's up. Um, they're running out of oxygen. So they they discuss it and they're like, well, Trey's already suicidal. So let's just let him kill himself. No, no, no. Kind no, of a no. bummer. That whole conversation where they're trying to decide whether they should go kill him or not. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's when they're trying to vote, basically. Oh, I thought they were discussing whether or not to just give him a scalpel. No, and they were. Himself. No, Chris Evans was going to go kill him. And that's how I they're... see. I thought when Chris Evans was getting a scalpel, I thought he was getting a scalpel in order to go. No, it to him. that's how they're voting on whether they should do it or not. And that's when Cassie says, like, I know you need my vote. And I know basically yeah. the human race depends on this, but you still can't have it. You know, just that moral standing that she takes. Which is sweet and kind, but it's at this point in humanity, there's probably like 10 billion people on the planet. But this is the whole trolley problem, like Josh said again, right? Like, could you press a button and kill someone? Like, knowing that that's what you're doing like understanding the technicalities behind it and understanding yes this has to happen is different from actually being able to do it yourself it's also tough because this crew which has been together for about seven a few years i don't know how far into this journey they are years feel pretty tight-knit like family and yeah. they mm-hmm. fight like family, they but fight they like also family. communicate yeah, and talk yeah. like family. And they resolve things like family, as we see when 
when Murphy and Evans fight a yeah. few times, they, they resolve things so quickly because <laughs> that, that it's, it's just that it's apology, a result of being in close quarters. That apology yeah. that totally apology is great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good. So yeah, but yeah, yeah I, I, uh, I get why Cassie wouldn't would abstain from that vote. And I one moment that I thought was ridiculous was when uh like so trey kills himself in that room which is kind of hauntingly beautiful those birds fluttering around yeah Uh, but mace literally wipes trey's bloods on kappa's hands and is like here this belongs here yeah and that was a moment where i'm like oh okay (laughs) alex garland okay let's okay let's tone it down just a half notch here please yeah. And then, uh, Josh, what'd you think about the revelation when the computer, their surrogate for mother goes, uh, we do have oxygen for four people, but there's five crew members. Yes. I thought that was great. It's, uh, yeah. You know, the, the assumption that you as the audience and the members on the ship have made, like kind of that they're, uh, you know, they can make it now. But also, what is, is there a ghost? What is happening? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, at that point in my first viewing, I had totally forgotten about Pinbacker, right? Yep. That, you know what that is? That's um, Black Christmas when a stranger calls. It's the call is coming from inside the house. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, totally. Back to the slasher. Um, and- yeah. So, yeah, computer says that there's the extra crew members in the observatory. Kappa runs in there. Uh, Pinbacker asks him if he's an angel and then slashes him. Kappa runs off. I like the, uh, it's like, it's like what dogs wear, like a thunder jacket, that compression vest for a stab. And honestly, that feels, it's like, God, I, maybe I would sleep really well wearing that. It's almost like a, Old timey like bustier garment that like would suck in women's uh, like bellies and sides. Uh-huh. Yeah. A corset, yes. So just find yourself a corset. You no, got to figure out how to tie it yourself. This, 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 this wearing a corset might lead down a road that I haven't looked at before. I hope hope this doesn't unlock anything. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dean. Dean. So, um, part of my kind of protests with the music video-esque editing, editing of this movie is out, like, I, I understand why when Killian Murphy sees Pinbacker in the observatory, he's very blurry mm-hmm. and weird and, like, hard to make out, but then when he's chasing Killian Murphy to the door and, and he closes the door and he's looking at him. We still get this weird edit trick where yeah. he's like phasing in and out and there's audio glitching and it overstays. How its do welcome. you, how do how, yeah. do how do you guys, how do you guys feel about that? I think it was cool when we first see it, but that effect overstayed its welcome and it was just basically the last act of the movie. Half of it was that, right? It was, 
it was hard to watch the second time around. It was distracting you know, more you, than anything. You know what I felt it was? It I felt like it was non-diegetic special effects. Josh, does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, it does. So, something that is not within the world that is being put upon it uh, in an yes. editorial fashion. As, as an, an artifice. Yeah. Uh, but how did you feel about it? I mean, the I I get it as like uh, commentary on that character yeah. at this point. You know, he's uh, reached his zenith of sun madness, uh, which has been threatening them all, and has I think he's transcended into something, you know, or at least thinks he has beyond human. And if you if you argued on the point that the movie is in those moments adopting adapting um Pinbacker's fucked up insane point of view mm-hmm. I, I you might be able to find some leeway with me and mm. convince me of that maybe like uh, on rewatch maybe that's a way that you could do it it just feels it just feels too much to me and I, 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 less would be more in this situation. Yeah. I think. Now there are you still do some to... really cool parts with Pinbacker's character, like when Cassie gets a was it Cassie or Killian's character, like get away by like the skin ripping off of his arm, like yeah, that's gross. Like that effect was that's... great, but <laughs> it was gross. But I mean, yeah, this guy is terminally sunburned. Like, there is. I don't know if y'all ever watched the Mel Gibson movie We Were Soldiers. Yeah, and I don't know yeah. why I did. There's a part. Oh God, where like a guy's shins have been napalmed, and his they go to pick him up. And, and that it, sound, that sound effect when they pick him up. God. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel like that was around the time where I was like, hey, war movies, you and me aren't going to be friends anymore. For me, it was after Thin Red Lion, I think. That, no, I think that was, Thin Red Lion was the changer for me of any, t- there is no glory yeah. in war. And that's why, like, the, the irony of glory being called glory, I think, works so well. And it's probably, I don't know if that's the intention, but for me, that's the complete irony is that those, every character in glory essentially dies in complete vain. Right. And the idea of glory through battle and glory through war is a complete falsity and, and non-existent. Um, yeah. I lost my train of thought. I mean, I think this is proof that this movie isn't as simple as it seems on the surface. Like, we keep on going on these seemingly random tangents while talking about things that this movie is bringing up, you know? So it's definitely more than just the spectacle of the sun and the visuals. There's a lot of conversation just on what the movie brings out in people. I do think also that the, those over the overblown visual ticks that, you know, are happening at this point. Um, and when, uh, Chris Evans' character is in the the coolant room, 
uh, and he's freezing. The whole room is blue. Like mm. the uh, the oxygen room uh, has, you know, like a greenish kind of tint to it. All these areas are like color coded to really like clue you into what's happening. But also I think that there is a point when all these tricks, like the style becomes substance at a certain point. Yeah. You know, the media is the message after a while. And I think that he is trying to push through these things uh, in not so subtle ways. Like his ideas, he's like kind of shoving them on you. And I'd be interested to know if like the, the blurring glitching effect on pinbacker is from the script or is that purely a Danny Boyle thing? Or is it an editorial choice that they made after the fact? Hmm. I'd be curious to know that too. Me too, yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned Mace in the coolant and Mace's eventual death as he continually submerges himself in that coolant. And uh, I, I feel like anytime I get a chance to mention U571 now, I'm just going <laughs> to do that. So that's very reminiscent of a scene in U571 where a guy has to uh, go to a submerged part of the submarine and turn a valve in a very tight spot and in the process of turning said valve he gets stuck and dies and sacrifices himself but is able to save the ship um so now the ship which was originally going to be um hitting the sun is in orbit so kappa needs to drop the the payload and then somehow transfer himself from the pay from the ship to the payload. And this is a part that I I thought just a little effect was really cool was uh when he's using the plasma torch to cut the door, you see the paint yeah, bubble yeah. on the other side and it just looks red. And then uh so he cuts the door open and there's that huge vacuum again, similar to Alien, right? Mm -hmm. We get the huge vacuum section and uh Poor Michelle Yeoh yeah. flies by his face. And smashes into the camera. They don't give her any dignity. Uh, it's like yeah. she smashes right into that crash cam. And after this, um, the payload separates. And this is the part where now he's trying to make his way to jump and get onto the payload. And like the fate of humanity rests in this journey that he has to make. This probably 100 foot journey. And he trips and eats shit in that moment where he's on his face screaming with like a bridge of spit yeah, flowing yeah. down and he's been stabbed and it, it feels so futile and his acting is so great in that moment of just everything and frustration yeah. you like demise everything wrapped into it and then to get up leading to this jump and my god, the jump is... A, this is, like, yeah. part number two of, like, extraordinary shots that give me goosebumps just to talk about it now and think about it. And it's very much, like, again, Herbal Space Program stuff of... <laughs> you forget to have two coupling ships or an airlock on a ship, so you end up having to just, like, jump from one ship to the other and EVA across and... It's space. My one of my greatest fears is like 
what happens to that guy who bounces off and just like drifts off into space. Yeah. That yeah. feeling of like drifting into space or in the Sandra Bullock movie. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Or or in Mission to Mars. Like there's a lot of movies where people drift off into space. You could be an inch away, right? You, scary. You could be an inch away. An inch away and but never get if you don't have any propellant yeah. or anything to you're fucked. Yeah. You're yeah. fucked. And you say you could drift away from everything so slowly. So slowly. And the, the music during that jump, too. Yeah. And what I talked about before, the little narration before he jumps about dreaming of the surface of the sun. It works really well for me. I think if you just watch the clip without going through the movie, it doesn't work. But once you're swept up in the music and you are like in for the ride, man, it hits. Um, I felt like Icarus exploded very big for a ship that had minimal oxygen on it. <laughs> As oxygen is what's necessary for a ship to make a fireball in space. It makes several fireballs. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I, I would love to see ship implosions that were like kind of realistic, which weren't fireballs in space. Maybe it would be really unsatisfying, though. It might be mm-hmm. anticlimactic. To see a ship yeah. become like depressurized like a can and just like, shunk. It'll just pop, right? And, and there's it. no and pop because yeah. there's no sound. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no sound. Yeah. So. Maybe my idea of space battles would be really boring. Maybe. I don't know. There's a... Was it the Firefly movie? One of these movies had a huge space battle with no sound. I'm trying to... Oh. Really? I never never saw Firefly. It'll come to me, but yeah. There was a movie with a big space battle with no sound. After this, Killian Murphy makes his way across the bomb, which the bomb reminded me of the movie Cube. Yeah. Because it seems to just be a giant cube. It was super uh, disorienting in there. And another weird part that confused me was Pinbacker chokes him, choke holds him one-handed like Andre the Giant. But maybe if they were on the moon or something with limited gravity, but they seem to be on a thing that has full gravity so pinbacker just having superhuman i don't think we can feels a little silly i don't think we can talk about gravity when they're like at the sun yeah you know like that's a good point that's a fair point also how i was wondering we talked before about the ship having mass and creating gravity is that what happens at the end of this movie when Cassie jumps on Pinbacker, degloves him. She <laughs> and Kappa fall, but then suddenly gravity shifts into the center of mass of the cube, seemingly. I think I, so. I would assume because they're at this point they're either in the sun or like there, right? Yeah. So Yeah. I mean, but, I guess that's what could be happening. We also see the cube hurtling and tumbling into the sun. I, 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 some of the physics here 
a little confusing. But this ending with Killian Murphy igniting the bomb, and as he talked about before, that with the velocity as you approach the core of the sun combined with the energy being released, that there will be a moment where space and time are stretched out forever. And I think this movie nails this depiction. Of so this much moment. so and that it's, it's no one rips it off for Oppenheimer. Yeah. Don't spoil that <laughs> shit. Oh my God. Oh my God. Uh, but Sean, you, you loved the, the pylon things that come out of the floor and alien. What'd you think about these? As he's trying to hook up the, like a bunch of B and C connectors. It looked like, <laughs> like, <laughs> I love it because it's it's just random nonsense that somebody designed this prop to do. Right. But I, I do like seeing each one has a specific way to prevent an accidental launch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so like with Ripley, we see the, the giant switches on the wall and then pouring, pulling up the four cores and screening the special thing. And fl- I did prefer the device in Alien to this one. I thought I thought... And this one, we didn't quite get that satisfying thunk. <laughs> yeah, everything's too thunk. shaky and crazy at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and he he fucking literally like touches the sun. It's a it's a wild ending, and it's really cool. Yeah, and then um. Again, we end on a moment that could be cheese due to the narration, but I, I think the score again mm. kind of carries carries over this moment of seeing his sister with her kids and saying that if you ever wake up on a particularly beautiful morning. And so basically we see from his sister's point of view. The sun's a little bit brighter. Eight, eight, yeah. eight, eight minutes after his death, we see her and her kids out in the snow. Right. Now, this is this is metaphysical, but I was thinking today, uh, the moment where his he's going to spend eternity, right? Like in between the blast wave and the the blast. Um, if he wasn't there to perceive that moment, is that moment still happening? I don't know if he's there for eternity. I I think things just kind of paused for a second. Yeah, I I feel like, but we know once he touches once he touches the sun. I feel like he's getting vapor. I don't know, but we know the relativity of time, right? And given how oh close, yeah, we all we all know the relativity. Yeah, of time. I mean, <laughs> no, I mean being that close to a star, like who knows? Yeah. It's just it. Well, oh, Josh, you're 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 basically like bringing up my problem that broke my brain when we talked about time crimes of like if there's a time loop, then that means that there's one version of us that exists forever in that time loop, reliving the same thing over and over and over, mm-hmm. while the rest of us keep moving on. It's time. Don't mess with it. Don't mess with time. You can't you can't win if you mess with time. 
Or the sun. Movies have taught me so. Don't touch the or sun. Or the sun. <laughs> it's going to be bad for you. Don't touch the sun. Yeah, well. Blister on the sun. Let me go away. Big hands, I know you're the one. My friend told me that song's about masturbation. It might be. It might not. That's what I've heard. Body of feats. I stain my sheets. I don't even know why. Uh-huh. Big hand. I know you're the one. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just saying. Strong evidence. Closing up. You guys got anything else for uh, Danny Boyle's Sunshine? The Did you stick uh, around through the credits? Oh, is there something? I didn't like. I didn't like the credits song. I I think Danny Boyle picks bad credits songs because I also don't like his choice for Twenty Eight Days Later. Me either. Okay, it's yeah. too like big. It's too like big rock and roll. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, dude, yeah. Like, give me. Let me settle into the vibe, not like rock out of here. But that's the thing. It, the first song is the Underworld song. It's like, and then there's like this jazzy acoustic song that comes after it. Ah. Did you stick? Yeah. I might have, but I don't recall that one. I just remember the John John Chica Kakan John Chica. Yeah. I think he should have split the difference and just stayed with the score. Maybe played that Adagio in D once again. That would what have been a great. fool. What yeah. a fool not to go back to that John Murphy score to yeah. finish it. Some of the worst offenders of bad credit music were the Saw movies. <laughs> this is always like Mudvayne. Yeah. <laughs> In grad school, I don't know why, but I watched all of those back to back. I went. Hey, man, I was a saw guy for a while. They all just blurred it's all together. Good. Yeah. Are you yeah. excited for Saw X? No, Saw Spiral was so bad. There was some weird time stuff in Saw too, right? Or yeah, they they fuck around with that timeline yeah. like eight different times. It, it it's a mess. It's it's an insane mess. Is it a uh, kind of why I love the Saw movies? Honestly, wasn't it wasn't actually to see the saw traps and everything. It was just to see what convoluted <laughs> bullshit daytime yeah, yeah. soap opera story they could come up with for the series. Anywho, um, last thoughts. I, I think this was a great double feature. I think these movies were very complimentary for each other. I had a lot of fun rewatching both. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm happy you got oh, to revisit we gotta, Sunshine. We got to rate Sunshine. I'm a, oh. I'm a, I'm a four out of five on Sunshine. I I have some issues with it. I do think, like you said, I think it stands on its own legs to not need the pinbacker change up at the end. And I would be really curious to watch the movie without that. But I don't think it ruins it like some people think. Yeah, I think on a rewatching it, I'm much more kind to it now than I was when I first saw it. Um, and I think I got a lot more out of it this time. I think four out of five is pretty accurate for me, too. Um, I understand where you guys are coming from with the 
uh, the hesitancy towards especially the, the way Pinbacker's presented or obscured, I, I guess, right. in that last act. Uh, but I actively like that. I, hmm. I enjoy it. It is, um, it's just the stylistic touch that's dropped on there. And it does, right. I, I happen to like a lot of movies where you can see the, the hand of the director or the editor at work. You know, that's like a, the, the death of the artist and all of that stuff. You know, I like that, uh, metaphysical meta, meta modern touch rather. Uh, and so it's 4.5 for me. I'm going to put wow. it up and I gave it a little, I gave it a little heart. So. Oh, I meant to, I meant to ask one moment is, uh, when they first get on Icarus one, their single frame cuts. Oh yeah. Cuts of the crew of I- Icarus one. Yeah. From that photo that they all took together. And that was a moment where I'm like, this, this is not vibing with me. Oh, the cuts. Really? You don't like them? I, did you guys like those those little cuts? So I really like that again. That was like so extremely non-diegetic editing. And Josh, the thing is, is that I I appreciate a movie that's edited and shows its editing, but I feel like you. I don't know. Maybe you got to go all or nothing, and this movie doesn't quite go all or nothing, and so those moments stand out for me too much as little like trickery and editing moments okay. versus movies like crank where it's like <laughs> top to bottom edited like lunatics. I think I just really liked the concept of those group photos, like seeing the crew of Icarus two and then calling back to the celebrating crew of going. One. Yeah. Celebrating and going 30,000 miles per hour. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I just really liked that concept. So maybe the editing was jarring. But I like that they called back to those pictures, that these were people who were going through the same thing, you know. There was there was a melancholy to yeah. seeing that photo. There's a, a special melancholy to seeing dead people in, like, Santa hats. Yeah. That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. Death people in Santa hats. I get what you're saying, but it sounds yeah. like you're saying something else. <laughs> well, that'll just about wrap us up this week. Um, do you guys have any books, movies, TV shows that you would like to plug before we get out of here? Or anything? I just uh, started watching Jury Duty after coming off of Jury Duty. Finally! Oh, it's so good. It's I'm so fantastic. happy you're watching it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it lives up to the hype, man. I fucking love that show. Pretty great. Uh, Josh? I'm watching uh, Full Circle, the new Steven Soderbergh series on uh, Max. And Ooh. you would. I absolutely would. You would. Yeah. One day we'll get Soderbergh on this podcast. I'll figure out how to do it. Okay. Thank you. Has anyone anyone watched the new Futurama? No, not yet. No. I need to check that out. Uh, I will. uh, I'll say watch Review with John Wilson because a supposedly um, Russell told me, I think. Tomorrow, Friday the 28th, it comes back for its final season. 
And if you like Nathan for you or just kind of absurdist documentary, I don't it's that show's so hard to explain. That show has been recommended I love to it. me by you so many times and I really need to watch it. I apologize. Wait. How to I well I I've recommended How to with John Wilson, but I've also recommended and sent to you Review with Forrest McNeil. Yes, that's the both one. of those. Yeah, I'm angry at you for not having watched both of those. <laughs> and we just on the Discord server with the trustees, um, in between Thursday night watch alongs, we had watched one episode of Review, and uh, we just finished the series finale about two weeks ago, and it was very melancholy. It's 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 a perfect comedy series. It's one of the best TV shows ever made. And I'm, every day that you don't watch it, I become a little bit more frustrated send by it, you. Send it to me again. It's somewhere. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so on, on that terribly disappointing Wait, note. Sean, has, next, do we have what? a list of, of guests who've let us down? <laughs> oh. Yeah. At, at it. Well, Josh, I mean, Jesus Christ, a few of your friends... Do you want to talk about how many movies I've watched and have and have taken notes for and we haven't recorded? At least four, we will least next four. episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been a lot. <laughs> it's been a lot. So uh next episode. Hey, Azam. Fucking congratulations. <laughs> That's a hundred movies, Josh. Oh yeah. yeah. Congrats, you guys. That's we awesome. did it. <laughs> we did it. That's the awesome. The century. The century mark. Fuck yeah. Oh, Very I'm cool. excited about that. So, next episode in two weeks or three or maybe four, uh, we're going to be doing some kind of retrospective. You know what? I would love if anyone has any ideas for something we should talk about, a theme we should talk about, a uh, top five list that you want. Um, any memories from the show? Any times the show might have helped you? Or uh, hurt you? Or hurt <laughs> you. Any times you had to throw your phone out the window going down the highway because you disagreed so vehemently with us? Please, I, I, I would love some feedback for this 100 movie retrospective. I'd love to get some past guest and listener participation going. Uh, that would be really fun. I don't know what this retrospective episode is yet, but I'm looking forward to it. And I'm, I'm proud of us, Josh. We made it. We've been kind of limping across the finish line here and it's not a finish line, but we made it. We're doing it. We're really doing it, pal. Look at us. Look at us. They said we couldn't. Azam said from day one, we couldn't do it. What? (laughs) I said from day one, call me when you get a hundred and look where we're at. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> look where we're at i have and i haven't called you a day in between <laughs> so i'll talk to you when we get 200 bud yeah call me for the abyss <laughs> we'll do maybe cameron will have hey, it thank, out by thank, then all right thank you for joining us also this was a long fucking episode we haven't we haven't gone long like this in a while but no, thank you i think minute. this this episode was th- th- like fully warranted this discussion <laughs> and uh Thanks, man. And hey, you're, I really appreciate your passion for Alien. Well, thank you so much for thinking of me.
Josh, you got anything else, my friend? Um, I have been contributing to uh, another podcast called Movie Planet Pod uh, with my friend Joe Sarah. So check that out. He we were recording like half a season in advance for him. Uh, so I don't know when my apps will come out. Uh, but yeah, give give that podcast a I, twirl. I can't believe you've cheated on me with another <laughs> podcast. Oh, by oh, the way, is this I a highly recommend. <laughs> by the way, uh, check out well dot dot dot. I think you're wrong with Virginia and Sean. If you want to hear more of my movie opinions, I host a show with Virginia, my friend, and uh, one of us loves a movie, the other hates it, and then we watch it together and debate it. Have you guys a good time? Have you guys done fun. The Irishman yet? No, I because I don't think she loves it. She has to love a movie, but oh. I did recently find out that she hates all sports movies. So I have, Ooh. I have a, I have infinite number of little giants <laughs> major league major league Rookie oh. of the year rudy, rudy field of dreams hoosiers the natural field of dreams like i i could yeah. just run three months alone on just sports movies so check out that if you want it's on spotify and everywhere else you should get your pods but other than that thank you so much i really appreciate you listening 100 movies that's pretty awesome uh Josh, you have any little special 100 movie centennial thing you want to say? No, we'll save them for the next one. We'll, we'll save them. <laughs> well, now I'm embarrassed that I just started wow. to say mine, and now you're saving yours. So now my ass is really hanging out in the wind. But uh, thank you so much for checking into the show. We really appreciate it. Please be kind to yourselves, then be kind to each other, then listen to our show, and we'll see you in two or four weeks. Goodbye. Bye.